Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, the Xbox One. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of October 22nd, 2020, including Phil Spencer notes that future Bethesda games may not be coming to PlayStation after all. The new Xbox app is now available for iOS and Android. We'll go over our personal top five list of best Xbox One console exclusives of the generation and more. know what I'm really going to say starting at this point of the podcast until I just hit record. So today I don't have anything in particular to say other than I want to make a little, not comment, I want to bring something to light uh, for all of you who do comment in on the show every week. YouTube is blocking some of your comments and deleting shit at random. And I know I've brought this up in the past, but it's, it's starting to get worse. So YouTube will just like notify me on my phone like so-and-so commented on your video. And I'll be like, cool. And then I'll look at the notification. It will show me a preview of what the comment is. It'll show me like the first sentence or, you know, the first part of the the comment, whatever. And then I'll be like, okay. uh, Like, for example, the comment could say, hi, Jesse, you really rock. And I think your show is awesome. But the the notification comes in. It's like a new comment from John Stamos. And it just says, hi, Jesse, you and then cuts off. And I'm like, you what? Like, you suck. You're awesome. I love you. What? What is it, John Stamos? And then I click on the comment. I click on the notification to go to the proper comment. And then it's just gone. It will, like, flash me to the comment section of the video. And just the comment will just be missing. Like, if the comment doesn't get shadow banned or deleted or whatever, it will show there when I click on the notification. But if YouTube decides to just arbitrarily mark it as spam and delete it for me, then it, when I click on the notification, it just takes me to nothing. So... I don't really know how to fix this. I've tried to go in on the back end and be like, okay, well, since it's my YouTube page, surely it, it will like filter all the all the comments it's detecting as spam or or as uh, as like shit talk and, and be like, hey, do you want to permanently delete these or do you want to mark them as okay and put them back on the comment section? I, I swear like a long time ago, that's how YouTube did that. And that's why I thought that was an option. But for whatever reason, I just can't fucking find this anywhere. And all these comments just keep getting deleted. So if you are noticing your comments not getting read, or you thought you had something that would surely be addressed on the show, just know I'm not, I'm not necessarily ignoring your comment. It might just be YouTube deleting your shit. So I don't really know the rhyme or reason to this. Maybe someone's reporting you. Maybe some of you guys uh, are on some of the listeners shit list and they don't comment themselves, but these people go around seeking out your comments to report uh, so that YouTube will delete them, and then you'll look like a dumbass. I don't I don't know what the answer is, but I just want to put that out there. I'm sorry if your comments are getting deleted. I'm not savvy enough or dedicated enough to take the 10 minutes to figure out what the fuck's going on and how I can address it. So this is just going to keep happening for the foreseeable future. Uh, maybe I'm blowing this out of proportion a little bit. Just to put it into context, it's not like a bunch of comments getting deleted and shadow banned or whatever. It's just some some comments are just not showing up. And, and Lethal Migraine, you're a prime candidate here. So a lot of your comments just kind of, I get notified about it, I click on it, and they're just gone. So Lethal Migraine, stop, stop posting so much hate speech, and then maybe the YouTube algorithm will give you the blessing of uh, and the freedom to speak your mind. So let me just put that out there before we jump in. Now... Guys, this is the week. I know a couple weeks ago I I asked you guys to please comment in 
with your personal list for top five best Xbox exclusives or Xbox One console exclusives of the generation. And a lot of you guys commented in over the past few weeks while we've waited for a slow news week to have an opportunity to do this segment. So this is the week we're going to be doing that. It's actually rather slow news week. So if you're part of the 25% or whatever that just listens through the bullshit and then clicks off on the news, then boy, is this the week for you because we've got a lot of bullshit to get to. But there is there there are some news stories and we will get to the news, but we're going to kind of do the regular run of show. But then after all the news is done, we'll do our whole segment on the Xbox One retrospective on our top five favorite games of the generation. So looking forward to doing that. Um, but let's start out this week's show with our general uh, camaraderie and, and bullshitting with uh, with all your comments that come over from the YouTube page. These are all of you uh, who commented in and <clears throat> were gracious enough to take your time to share your thoughts and opinions and questions and comments with me, knowing full well that YouTube might just arbitrarily decide Fuck you and delete your comments. So thank you so much for taking a chance on on this, you guys. Our first comment this week comes from Mr. Miggy, who says, For a podcast with a small audience, you talk and lead like you've been doing this for years and have a big following. Your jokes are on point, too. Also, I know this was discussed weeks ago, but I prefer Denny's over IHOP. They have better deals, especially when you get the entree with their specialty pancakes. All right, so that's a lot to unpack in a, in a rather... Brief comment there, okay, Mr. Miggy. Um, so first of all, thank you for your kind words. And actually, I'm, I, I take a little bit of umbrage with, with your first statement where you say, I talk like I've been doing this for years and I have a big following. How the fuck do you know I don't have a big following? You don't fucking know. You know, these days you can't trust anything. Everyone's fake news and all that shit. Spotify is probably just jealous that I got billions of followers and they're and they're padding my numbers. I don't know how many fo- You don't fucking know how many followers I have. Also, Mr. Miggy, uh, I would like to add the fact that just because this is the only podcast I've done that you've ever heard of doesn't mean it's the only podcast. Have you ever heard of a little something called Joe Rogan? Yeah, I was the pre- I was the precursor to Joe Rogan. People used to come on my show. I get millions of views. I'd, I'd smoke pot with Neil deGrasse Tyson, and we'd shoot shit for hours on end. So, for all you know, this is just my latest in a long line of podcast series. So that's why I sound so professional. But thank you so much for your kind words. You were just ignorant. You didn't know what you were saying. You didn't know any better. But I I appreciate you writing it nonetheless. Now to your point here. I, I tried to stay impartial on the whole Denny's versus IHOP thing because I don't really know if I have a definitive answer or a definitive side on this. So I, I just appreciate you giving your two cents. You prefer Denny's over IHOP because they have one better deals or, or you say because they have better deals, especially when you get an entree with their specialty pancakes. I can't speak to this too much because I've been to Denny's, Denny's so few times that I don't really have a good feeling for like what they're pricing and what they're deals are like relative to IHOP like I mean I know you can go to Denny's and like eight bucks gets you a full meal like I've been to like a chain diner before so that's not new to me but relative to what IHOP's offering I I didn't know that Denny's was had like this uh had this just this immense added value that IHOP just couldn't compete with because if I'm not mistaken IHOP has a lot of combos too where it's like ah you know you get the the plate with your your sausage and your bacon and your eggs and your fruit cup and and all that and then you get a stack of pancakes on the side so I'm not I'm curious to know what is it that Denny's is offering alongside specialty pancakes is it like Ah, you get a fucking cheeseburger and a calzone and two strips of bacon and uh, and a slice of birthday cake with a side of like cinnamon pumpkin spice specialty pancakes. It's like I don't I don't know what they're packing 
value-wise to compete with IHOP, but I, I'd like to go to Denny's. If it weren't for, listen, if it weren't for COVID right now, I would have been to a Denny's by now. In fact, just this past week, I had the opportunity to go to a Denny's. I went to a haunted, a haunted house with a friend of the show, Hunter, and, and he and his friends decided to hit up a Denny's after the haunted house. And, you know, my girlfriend and I just weren't feeling too comfortable because I feel like even in a pre-COVID era, Denny's is like a pretty good place to like, I don't know, like go for an omelet and contract HIV. I, I don't fucking know. So it just sounded like a good idea maybe to avoid the diner at, you know, 11 o'clock at night in the middle of a pandemic. So we didn't go for Denny's, but I really wish we had because I thought, you know, how nice would it be to go to Denny's shortly after having this conversation on the podcast because then I could speak to it a little more with some more recent uh, perspective. But you know, Denny's is high up on the list of like places. I, when I lived in Atlanta, Georgia back in the day, Denny's were not abundant. We just didn't have them everywhere. Now there were speaking of haunted houses and Denny's. um, I used to go to this haunted house called Netherworld every Halloween season back home in Atlanta. And right next to where that haunted attraction was, there was a Denny's. And so that was always my thing, like like Netherworld plus Denny's. Or like if I was just ever in that area, uh, which wasn't often because it's kind of far from where I used to live, I would just hit up the Denny's because I always knew like they have Denny's here. Denny's is in common where I live. That area just it had a lot of chain restaurants that just weren't abundant in my immediate neighborhood. So that's, that's my experience with Denny's. Um, but now that I live here in Florida... We have Denny's all over the place. I had to pass like on my on my thirty minute commute to work in the morning. I've counted. I this is rough, but I have counted before. I think it's something like five or six Denny's and IHOPs that I have to that I had to pass in order to get to my job every day. So there there's no shortage of Denny's over here. In fact, there's one like seven minutes from my apartment. So I, again, if it weren't for COVID, I would be out there doing the field research going to the Denny's, going to the IHOP, tasting them, comparing them, comparing service, cleanliness, quality, value on the on the menu, variety on the menu, all these things because I want to give you uh, I want to be able to engage in this conversation more and offer some more more thought, but I just uh I can't speak to that, but I'll take your word for it. Denny's has the better uh, deals, better value with their specialty pancakes. That's something that can't be beat, especially when they're doing like the the holiday specialty pancakes, you know, and I could really go for some like cinnamon fall flavored pumpkin something or other pancakes. That'd be that'd be really good. All right. Our next comment here comes from Dead Captain James, who says, I originally found you through Spotify. I was sick and tired of the other, quote, drama gaming podcasts, and I stumbled onto yours uh, way back around episode 10 or 11. The first time I heard you uh, your Xbox game drop, I was hooked, lol. I legit laughed out loud, and it was refreshing. I live in South Dakota now, but I have... I have lived in three different countries. Uh, that's awesome. I was a, I was a stay-at-home dad slash student back when I found your podcast. I had so much time, and I spent mostly playing games and listening to podcasts. I no longer have that kind of time uh, as I'm uh, my final year of my education degree, and I'm currently student teaching. But I always take the time to listen to your podcast. It's definitely one of the most enjoyable parts of my week, bro. Sorry for the long comment. Keep on keeping on. Thank you so much for that comment, Dead Captain James. It always means a lot when you write in in particular because as you've said here you've been listening since so far back in the old days it's uh there's so there's something comforting about having dead captain james here he feels he feels like a it's like my humble beginnings you know no matter no matter how many ea's kings or master doom chiefs or or eric mathsons we add into the roster of listeners and commenters there's just something about those ogs those uh those dead captain james those lethal migraines those sarugis where i just think man you guys 
without you guys, I'd still just be here talking into a mic, not even knowing if anyone was on the other end. So I always appreciate those kind words. And then also just you sharing your story. That's it's, it's kind of crazy just cause I've, I've just been such a voracious, like passive uh, consumer of podcasts for the, like the past 10 years of my life that it's just so weird when, you know, people tell me about like, Oh, this is how I found your show. And it just basically sounds like my life and how I listen to podcasts, which is like, you know, oh, I was very alone and I was in high school and I just, didn't have many people to talk to, so I couldn't express my hobbies with anyone. And then I found this podcast, and I got hooked on it. And I used to just go to school and go to work and listen to podcasts on commutes. And now, you know, now I'm much older. Now things are different. I I moved out. I, I finished school. I got a I got a day job. I live with my girlfriend. But I, I mostly just listen to podcasts still. So I guess my life hasn't changed all that much either. But good for you, man. I'm 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 really happy for you. Congrats on your family and congrats on you know getting to the end of your degree and, and starting to wrap that up. I, I wish nothing but the best for you. Also, mad respect for anyone who's out there, you know, t- going out to be a teacher, uh, just because it's just such a <laughs> miserably underappreciated uh, field. And there's there's a part of me that wishes I pursued education. I don't know. I, I think sometimes like maybe I need to go back to school and get that master's degree, but. No time for that. I got a podcast to run, okay? Next up, EA's King117 says, Okay, I found your podcast on Google Home. I just said, Hey, Google, play an Xbox podcast. And Google said, Okay, here's Xbox on. And I listened to it and liked it. So, yeah, I really think that the Xbox stuff is the cherry on top of the comments and more interesting. Uh, so, continue putting a lot of comments. By the way, commenting while I'm in math class uh, in secondary. So, keep up the great work. Well, thank you, EA's King. I, I, I don't know what sparked everyone writing in about their Xbox on origin stories, but I appreciate, I appreciate you writing in and I enjoy reading these comments. So thank you for bringing them in. And yeah, it's to you. Congrats on your education and keep up the good work. And, uh, I don't know. It's just a exciting stuff. I I'm a little surprised that Google assistant of all things was like, yeah, yeah, I got, I got the Xbox podcast for you. And just like, for whatever fucking reason, X, Google Assistant wasn't just like, yeah, let's, okay, he, uh, judging by the Google Podcast app, you know, it looks like Podcast Unlocked is probably the most popular one, or maybe the Major Nelson show, or something like that, but nope, it was just like, eh, fuck it, we'll just give you this stupid kid's podcast where he just drops a lot of F-bombs and passionately rants about, about you know, cheese puffs and, and, and shit like that, but, you know, thank you, Google, for, uh, for, for whatever reason, supporting the podcast. I'm curious how many people have been turned on to my show because like Amazon and Google Assistant and shit are just telling people, oh yeah, this is the this is the Xbox podcast you gotta listen to, not the one that has been around for a long time and has tens of thousands of listeners. No, we'll do the one that has like 200 people listening and commenting in about Doritos and shit. So that's pretty exciting. Maybe maybe I just hit like the SEO jackpot with the way. I tiled the show or something. I don't fucking know. Next up, Master Doom Chief says, Hey man, it's Viking. I have a new YouTube channel. Uh, YouTube seem to, seems to have shadow banned my account, so I've made a new one. Uh, well, Master Doom Chief, or Viking as we used to call you, uh, this is exactly why, you know, a month ago or whenever it was, I was asking for your social security number. I was here to offer you protection. I was going to verify your identity. I was going to make sure you were secure and safe, and you didn't listen to me. And this is what happens when you don't listen to me. I kindly asked for your social security. I told you you could trust me. And what happened when you didn't trust me? Everything fell to shit. Now YouTube's got you banned. Now YouTube's got you making new accounts. Uh, you're getting you're getting your comments, you know, just uh, erased off the platform. This is why you need protection, and this is why you mustn't neglect my warnings. You must heed my warnings. And uh, 
Nice profile pick. It's half Doom Slayer and half Master Chiefs from from Halo 4. So that's a cool pick, dude. Next up, Lethal Migraine says, Red isn't bad. I like AMD and Wendy's and KFC. I don't remember the context in which I said Red was bad. Maybe I was talking about Nintendo or something, but that's fine. Um, AMD, I, I don't give a shit about, but good for them. And uh, Wendy's, I mean, Wendy's is like objectively the worst mainstay fast food burger, but okay, good for you. And also KFC is like the worst mainstay fast food chicken. So Lethal Migraine, what what is happening here? Are you are you telling me are you just saying you like Wendy's and KFC? Are you are you insinuating that you prefer Wendy's and KFC over like, I don't know, McDonald's and Popeyes here? Because I, I know this is more about red and you're associating red with Wendy's, red with KFC, red with AMD because of the brands and the logos and all that, but this is a this is this is scratching at me and I I just don't I don't know if I can continue on with this podcast. If we live in a world where you think a Wendy's burger is better than a McDonald's burger or a Wendy's burger is better than a five guys burger or a KFC chicken thigh piece is better than Popeye's or, or Bojangles or anything like that. So I just, just be careful about what you're going to say, because remember words have consequences and we're, we're sensitive on the show. We talk a lot, you know, we goof a lot about fast food and things like that. But remember like some of us, some of us, you know, have sensitive ears and you can't just go around throwing out things like I like Wendy's and KFC without even paying any mention or tribute to the likes of McDonald's or Popeye's. So just uh, be mindful of that. I'm not saying that you're, you know, a heathen or or a zealot here, but perhaps you should just think more carefully about when you just speak fast food heresy. And next up, we got Mr. Eric Matheson, who, who comments and says, this might be a long comment, but I'm going to touch on multiple topics. Firstly, I listen to your podcast every week on Spotify and only come to the YouTube, only come to YouTube to comment. And I usually pause the YouTube video since I already heard the episode. Maybe you're seeing a lot of people leave after 60 seconds because other people are doing things like this too. Also, I tend to just skip over some of the food related sections because no offense, I just don't personally give a shit about what a stranger ate this week. Well, Eric, first of all, I'm not a stranger. I'm your podcast host. So treat me with some goddamn respect. Second of all, you should care what I eat because if I'm not eating right, I'm not podcasting right so if i'm just out here eating fucking brussels sprouts and sauerkraut and whatever the fuck it is you're suggesting i eat by neglecting these fast food topics then you're just gonna get really shitty podcasts you want me to get on here and just be like oh hey i'm full of energy and and, in good health because i had cauliflower today and now we're just gonna talk about the news and nothing else and we're gonna be straight faced the whole time and uh and then the show ends it's literally just the news I read it, I just read it verbatim as it's written from the news sites I get it from, and then the the show just ends. No personality, no comments, no no interpretation or insight or anything. It's just straight news. Because if you, if you don't care about what I've been eating, then you don't care about this podcast, frankly. And I don't know, one more slip up like that and you might have to get banned from the show. So maybe think twice about, just like I said to Lethal Migraine, words have consequences. So just think about what you're saying before you just go out and say it willy-nilly. You may not have meant to to have lit a fire, but you you definitely started something here, so watch it, kid, okay? Now, 
You say, I get that it's your podcast and you want to talk about what you want to talk about, and I think that's awesome. But I'm really just here for the Xbox talking points, which are always top shelf on this podcast. Secondly, you mentioned how Microsoft removing future Bethesda games from PlayStation would be a dick move, and you're right, but Xbox fans have been asking for more exclusives for the entire console generation, and to see the and to see them buy a large group of titles and still not make them exclusive could also be seen as a dick move to the people who actually support the brand. If I were in charge of the brand, I'd want to make my customers happy and not worry about the people who just spent the last seven years making fun of the brand. That's just my opinion. And it's probably why I don't run a business, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so I think your point is kind of well taken at face value, but if you think about it a little further, it's not really about what the Xbox fanboys versus the PlayStation fanboys want. It's like, scope out a little bit and think about this a little more big picture. It's not a dick move because it really fucks over PlayStation fans. It's a dick move because it fucks over just gamers at large. So the thing about the Xbox or or any brand is that you want to really protect your brand. And if you do something like buy someone who has, you know, buy something like Bethesda that has a lot of studios, a lot of big names in gaming, and then just make all their games exclusive to your side, that can be easily interpreted as not just a dick move because it sucks for PlayStation gamers, but something of like a cheap move because immediately, and I've already, I, I first of all, I warned you the day this news broke that this would become an argument, and I've already started to see this argument surface, especially after the news this week that, that we'll get into later, is that... Wow, Xbox sucks so bad at making good first-party studios and good first-party games that they had to resort to using their massive amount of Microsoft money to buy someone else because they're too, what, creatively vapid or whatever, uninspired, to just make their own shit, to just build their own team, to make something original. And that's what I mean... And that's the bigger point of the dick move is that is that that kind of image, not just because it pisses off Sony fans, but because it pisses off a bunch of gamers at large, really just tarnishes the Xbox brand. And the Xbox brand is something you really want to have look as fair to all, good to all, really consumer friendly and all that stuff. And the reason why you want the Xbox brand to look that way in a situation like this is because that's what the Xbox brand has been going for under the Phil Spencer leadership. And so... You know, for them to do something that's just so anti-consumer and so anti-gamer just immediately kind of spit, again, flies in the face of that. And I know there's all these ways we like to rebuttal that. Oh, well, you know, if you have Game Pass and you can play it anywhere and then it really is for everyone anywhere, it doesn't really matter. You don't really have to have an Xbox. It's on PC, this, that, and the other. Listen, I'm just saying, regardless of what they actually end up doing, regardless of what you want them to do or how you perceive this, it's going to negatively affect a group of people if they just stop putting Bethesda games on PlayStation. We can spin it a million ways and try to make it look like this or that or the other, but at the end of the day, if you are someone who owns a PlayStation, not even necessarily a PlayStation fanboy, just someone who plays on PlayStation and owns a PlayStation, and now you no longer get Bethesda games, sure, maybe that drives you to buy an Xbox. Sure, maybe you're not really that affected by it, but at the end of the day, the optics are kind of like, wow, what a dick move. They just bought this really big brand in gaming and made all their shit exclusive to their platform rather than just, I don't know, building a Naughty Dog, building a, a Sucker Punch, building a, an Insomniac, and just competing that way. So that's all I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to say that is the... I'm not trying to say that perspective is accurate or that is the situation here, that Xbox is an awful brand and Phil Spencer is a dickhead for buying Bethesda and taking it away from PlayStation players. That's not what I'm advocating here. I'm saying that is inherently a perspective that comes to light, that just immediately becomes a valid, or maybe not valid argument, but becomes an argument that people can use against Xbox. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying I agree with it, 
not saying I disagree with it. I'm just saying it immediately becomes available as a talking point, and there's no denying that. So I, I just, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I think after this week's news, maybe, maybe you guys are all right, and I'm super duper wrong. But remember, guys, I have to double, triple, quadruple down on this whole Bethesda games will still come to PlayStation thing. So again, it doesn't really fucking matter. I'm just so tired of talking this about this at this point. Let's just assume that Bethesda games are still coming to PlayStation for the sake of me being right. Thank you very much for writing in, Eric. Now, our next commenter here is Count Scotula, who says, drop it down a couple points. You say, one, people mover is a very solid choice. Two, I would stick my enemy on small world. Classic ride, but but a lifetime of it would be a terror. I had to actually go and watch the Fast and Furious ride, and yeah, I don't wish that on anyone. Okay, this is a lot of like out-of-context responses to things from last week, but you asked me, who would I? What ride would at Disney World would I put my worst enemy on if to stick them on that for the rest of their lives? And if I had to be stuck on a Disney ride for the rest of my life, what ride would I choose? And yes, I said I put myself on the People Mover. I'd put my enemy on Small World. These rides probably mean nothing to ninety nine percent of the listeners except Small World because I think everyone knows what that is. And then yeah, that Fast and Furious ride over at Universal Studios kind of sucks dick. So I'm glad you I'm glad you watched the video of it just so that you could suffer a little bit, even even if only through this safe, safe-gated uh, window of, of YouTube. Now, you say, number three, I bought one of those damn Seagate SSDs. I'm pretty sick about it. I did have a bunch of expiring Best Buy Rewards bucks, which helped take the edge off, but good Lord. Well, good for you, because I really want to buy... I have, like, a little list of, like, accessories I want to get for my Series X. I want to get one of those SSD card sticks that you got... I want to get one of those uh, charging packs for the controller for for an Xbox Series X controller. I just I, I got I got that list, but do you ever you ever have that issue where like it's at the beginning of a console generation? You're like, oh yeah, the new console that's an exciting thing to buy. Oh, the new games that's an exciting thing to buy. But there's always those other accessories and things you need to buy with your new console that you're like. I know at some point I need to buy this thing, but I really don't want to. Like, when I first bought my Xbox One, that was me when I bought an external hard drive for my Xbox. But that was nothing, because I, I bought one on sale. I bought, like, a 2-terabyte external uh, West Western Book, West Book, whatever it's called, that brand. Western Book, whatever. You know what I'm talking about. Some Someone here knows what I'm talking about. But I bought one of those external hard drives. It was, like, 60 bucks, 2 terabytes, whatever, end of that. Usually, I associate this problem more so with Nintendo, because Nintendo's like the king of being like, here's our here's our highly affordable next-gen console and a bunch of fucking accessories and pieces of plastic you have to buy to go with it if you really want the full experience. I feel like Nintendo like excels at this, especially because they're still kind of a little bit like that toy company that's just constantly making shit, like one-and-done shit, like... Like, Nintendo, as a side note, Nintendo does so much of that shit where they're just like, buy a Wii Fit, you'll use this board for one game. You know, buy Ring Fit Adventure, you'll use this little wheel thing for one game. Buy this uh, steering wheel for Mario Kart, you will use it with a grand total of one game. Buy this this box of cardboard for $90, you will build it, put it together, and then instantly need a place to dispose of it. And it will cost you a lot of money, and it will be a one-and-done experience. Nintendo's like the king of that. Like, when I bought my Switch, I was like, I got to get the Pro Controller to go with it. I got to get these special straps for it. I got to get this uh, carrying case for the for the, for the the Switch. I got to get all this shit for it. I got to get an extra Joy-Con set for when you got friends over. Because, of course, Nintendo's always the local multiplayer machine. I feel like Nintendo really gets away with murder on that one. But 
I have this problem a little bit with the Xbox Series X right now, where I'm like, one terabyte on board, not bad, but I'm definitely going to need some more storage. So looking at one of those SSD sticks, but I'm like, 200 bucks is fucking ridiculous. So probably not going to buy that one of those for a little bit of a while. But then you also want to get, you know, the second controller. And I know old accessories are forwards compatible, but y- you want the next gen accessories. And uh, now we're going to USB Type-C for the controllers, which is great. But now I'm like, ah, now I feel like I just got to get rid of all my old controllers. And I, I don't know. There's just that um, that early part of the console generation ownership where you just you feel so obligated to buy all these little accessories and things to go with it. And it's 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 always such a pain in the ass to like force yourself to buy that extra controller, to buy that expanded storage. Because at the end of the day, the only exciting part is buying the console and buying the games, right? But good for you good glad someone's buying one of those cards uh we'll have to see how those pan out because i i I can't imagine a lot of people are really going to be spending that kind of money on that shit i feel like most people are just going to be really putting up with that tiny one terabyte hard drive that isn't going to go as far as i think a lot of people are thinking and then lastly you say i'm glad x cloud is coming to ios i needed a new phone this year and was or i needed a new phone and was super close to getting android for the very first time so you can create web apps on uh, ios that are saved to your home screen and launch uh frameless uh without a browser xbox controller support through safari is actually quite robust it's not quite ideal but i really do think that we uh, that it can be a super solid experience that will run very similarly to a native app experience that's a good point. I totally forgot that this is a thing on iOS um, that you can that developers can basically just make web apps, you know, and put them on the home screen, make little icons for them and everything. So that is a, I guess that is a cool little wor- workaround if you want to try and give the xCloud experience. Although, of course, that's that's one thing 99% of iPhone users definitely don't use and definitely don't know about. So, of course, without there being a proper app in the Apple App Store. It's never really going to be quite the same, but I'm glad that there's a solution that will work for people like you who are a little a little more savvy, a little more willing to find a solution to give them the approximation of, you know, what us here on Team Android are getting for low effort because Android's just so cool, iPhone's just so dumb, iPhone is PlayStation, Android is Xbox, you know, my team versus your team, so fuck you. My brother Josiah comments in and says, the part of Xbox streaming I'm most excited for is when you want to play a game with friends and someone doesn't have it installed, the game installed or updated. Otherwise, streaming just seems like the least enjoyable way to play games, to be honest. Well, I think for like those of us, like people who listen to a podcast like this, who have a home gaming console or have a gaming PC, yeah, I mean, streaming is definitely like a tertiary way to play games. It's just for the rare occasion when you're like actually on an airplane and you want to play Xbox or when you are laying in bed and you want to play Xbox and your Xbox is set up in the living room and not your bedroom or, you know, things like that. So, yeah, I think I think things like streaming and xCloud and all that are, are features for situations like that. If you're kind of in our group of Xbox elitists, the people who buy the Series X, the people who play the latest and greatest. But, again, when you think about xCloud as, as something for, you know, emerging markets or markets that don't really haven't widely adopted xbox like you know korea or japan this really is a great opportunity for those for those markets to get their xbox fixed without having to make big investments so it's it's interesting because the streaming thing really is a totally different use case depending on what kind of gamer you are and where in the world you're located but i i agree for people like us who mostly play our xbox you know on the couch in the living room 
that is pretty much the best use case for something like xCloud is uh, is that it's like, hey, dude, play this game with me. Oh, I don't have that game installed. It's like, well, dude, it's on xCloud, so just stream it. No excuse, you dumb, you dumb sack of shit. You better play with me. You better play Call of Duty Modern Warfare, even though every fucking day I turn the game on, it has another 27 gigabyte update. What the actual fuck is happening? This game has fewer maps than any Call of Duty that came before it, yet it still always finds a way to take well over 200 gigabytes of storage on my goddamn hard drive. Are you kidding me? Infinity Ward and Activision. But uh, yeah, that's why that's what we got streaming for. Even though Call of Duty is not available on streaming. Uh, last comment of the day comes from Mr. Master Doom Chief, previously Viking, who says... People hating on Dirt 5 need to chill out. Honestly, no game or console in history has ran at 120 FPS. So that's a big, techno- big technological achievement. But what else is cool to do but hate on Xbox? Because why not? Hey, Jesse, what do you prefer? A well-crafted good burger or a burrito? I love that hard shift from like, ah, fuck all these people that can't appreciate 120 FPS gaming. Uh, burgers or burritos? That's a... that's. That's, I feel like that comment's very indicative of like what the core of this podcast is all about. It's like, Xbox good, PlayStation bad, everyone's an asshole. Why don't more people appreciate Xbox? Anyway, burgers and, and cheesesteaks and Mountain Dew. That's uh, It's pretty much this podcast summed up in one brief comment. But I agree. I I, uh, I, th- I wish more people could appreciate these these more subtle advancements. But that's, that's what I'm saying is like, I, I made this point... I don't know how long ago, but I remember making this point on the show uh, not too long ago that this is the thing about as as computers continue to get more and more technologically advanced and we see more of like a diminishing returns on 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 like tripling doubling power of, of hardware is that, you know, the jump from 16 bit to 3D, you know, 64 bit is is much more understandable and graspable for most consumers or the jump from standard definition gaming to HD gaming is much more graspable for graspable graspable easy to understand for most gamers or most people out there most consumers but when you're showing more subtle things like jumping from 60 fps to 120 fps or 1440p to 4k gaming these kinds of things end up being a lot more subtle because it's like well i can play the same goddamn call of duty modern warfare on my xbox one or my xbox series x it's just you know subtle differences that make the experience faster smoother prettier easier on the new hardware whereas you know i can't play bubsy 3d on my nes i have to play it on my ps1 you know it's like i you need that technological leap in power from the Nintendo Entertainment System to the PlayStation 1 if you want to experience the next generation potential that is provided when you play Bubsy 3D. So this is this is what people mean. This is what casuals and normies. And before a bunch of you write in and comment, well, Jesse, uh, stupid idiot, uh, don't undersell uh, what a big leap in performance 120 FPS is or an SSD is or 4K gaming. Shut the fuck up, you nerd. I get it. I'm there with you. I agree. 4K gaming is impressive. 120 FPS is impressive. An SSD with that fast loading, that's an impressive thing. All of those things to me are exciting next-gen features. But I'm saying to your average normie, you know, if you go up to the guy at work who's never played a video game unless you consider uh, Quop and uh, Bejeweled video games, then, you know, that guy isn't going to look at the difference between an Xbox One game and an Xbox Series X game and say, wow, 
that's how different games look now. But if you showed the same guy back in the year 2001, the difference between Super Mario 64 and a trailer for the upcoming Super Mario Sunshine, I mean, yeah, Super Mario Sunshine, that guy's going to be like, oh my God, Mario looks so smooth and like a cartoon and everything is so crystal clear and the colors pop and everything's smoother and the controls aren't complete ass like they were in Mario 64. That's like, whoa, massive next-gen jump because that's kind of what we used to deal with when technology was more primitive, when console power was more primitive, and when, you know, jumps from one thing to the next were massive leaps in terms of what we could do, going from blocky polygonal 3D to smooth, multi-polygon, multi-polygonal, actual, like, detailed objects and, and environments and characters. So just trying to say, this is what happens as we as we advance technologies. The differences, the benefits, the perks, the upgrades start to become more subtle. And will these things become noticeable for us as we play these games? Yes. But they're not going to jump out to the average consumer. You're not going to watch a Super Bowl con- uh, commercial and be like, wow, the, the Assassin's Creed on the Xbox Series X is so much better than the Assassin's Creed on the Xbox One that they should make a federal law that if you play the Xbox One with the Assassin's Creed game, you will be jailed for up to a minimum of four years plus a $274 fine. It's not going to happen. So that I think that's the, I think that's to get back to what you were actually commenting about. I think that's the uphill battle Dirt Five has, where it's like it's impressive. It's showing off a lot of cool next gen stuff, but to the average eye, it just looks like another fucking racing game. So I'm not trying to say the normies at the big box game media websites are just normies, but meh. Now you say, do I prefer a well crafted good burger or a burrito? God damn it, that is a that is a hard question. You know, I feel like it'd be just so typical American of me to say the burger, but I think more more often than not, I'm going to be in the mood for a burger over a burrito. But I think like a really good burrito is going to be way more satisfying than a burger. Like, does that make sense? Like maybe I, like my brain would probably go to the burger more often than the burrito, but I think. If if I didn't have a choice in it, like if uh if if I didn't have my own like you know my own agency and and there was some overlord who determined what I ate every day and I didn't get a say in it like some goddamn you know grade school student then maybe I would prefer the burrito just in terms of the consistency and the repetitiveness of having to eat it more often. I think the burrito might be more satisfying more times than the burger, but I think left to my own devices i think i would choose the burger over the burrito more often so difficult one to answer but great question nonetheless feel free for those of you that comment to allow that to be the next question or or quandary here to kind of blow up in our in our comment section the would you choose the burger over the burrito or the burrito over the burger because for the first time what you've done here master doom chief what you've really done here is you have You've evolved the food conversation to not be about one similar brand to another similar brand, but to rather cross the culinary boundaries, the state lines of culinary. We have mixed the American and the Mexican and and put them in a competition against one another rather than just putting two like uh, two similar cuisines or two similar restaurants. Uh, up uh, one-on-one, you know, against each other. So this isn't an IHOP and a Denny's where they both give you bacon and eggs. This is a burger versus a burrito, the U.S. versus Mexico. I love it. Let's see how this goes. Guys, 
Let's go nuts on some burger versus burrito topics. All right, that's going to do it for all of our comments this week, guys. We're a whopping two hours into the show now. Holy fuck. I tried to cut down the comments, too. I just... You see how self-indulgent the show is? Like, this isn't the best Xbox podcast. What makes this podcast good is that I'm just having a good time getting lost. This is like like eight comments that could have been read in like 12 minutes max. And I managed to stretch this out for like 40 fucking minutes, guys. So no fucking wonder some of you guys pass this stuff. But it's it's got to be done. Someone, Hey, someone's got to have this conversation. So I'm, I'm, it's not proud work, but it's, it's necessary work and... God damn it, I, I, I'm doing what's got to be done. So that's going to do it for all the comments and shout-outs this week until we get to the top five list at the end of the show. But remember, don't be shy, guys. Just reply. Now let's just talk about what I've been playing for the week before we get into the news. But before I can tell you what I've been playing, I must tell you all about what I've been eating, guys. Have I ever told you about a little place called Chicken Guy? Now, Chicken Guy is a concept restaurant from the great celebrity chef Guy Fieri. And I won't get into all the memes and the jokes about the Guy Fieri. I know he's at the diners, drive-ins, and, and, and dives show, and he's got the smash mouth looking face and the hair and the glasses, and he looks like he got Han Solo frozen into a fucking 1998 uh, music video for um, The World's on Fire. How about yours? That's the way I like it. I never get bored. And then he just kind of stuck there for the rest of his fucking life. I get it. Guy's fucking weird. He looks like the worst part of 1997, just stuck in time. But the man knows his fucking chicken. So over at Disney Springs, which is a massive outdoor shopping, dining, entertainment complex here at the Walt Disney World Resort, there is a restaurant called Chicken Guy, which is a fast food chicken restaurant. And it is a concept restaurant by Mr. Guy Fieri. I believe there's one other location somewhere in New York City. That there's just two of them. There's the one at Disney World and the one in New York City. I could be dead wrong. Maybe there's like eight of them. I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's just the one in New York and the one at Disney World. But let me tell you guys, Chicken Guy is so good, man. Like, it's it's weird how good it is. The chicken is like super fresh, done in-house, not frozen crap. The seasoning's super yummy. And I like the way they like, they like tenderize the chicken so it's like kind of flat tenders. But it's really well seasoned and breaded, and and, uh, and uh, the texture's just awesome. And then the thing is, it's all about the sauces. You can get you can get the tenders in a sandwich form. You can get them just as plain tenders. But there's like twenty something sauces that you can order, and they're just so fun to try out and mix and match. And they have relatively decent fries and um, mac and cheese and stuff like that. So it's a really fun restaurant to go and get a chicken. And I enjoy getting a chicken at, at the Chicken Guy. So I would like to tell you guys about that and just say, if you ever find yourself in the Great Big Apple or the Walt Disney World Resort, you really should go out of your way to try the Chicken Guy. Another big win for the Chicken Guy is, obviously, you know, if you do something like go to Walt Disney World, you're going to spend more than you should on food. Food's just going to be expensive because you're kind of in a tourist trap. That's just what it is. Restaurants are pretty expensive there. But Chicken Guy is one of the best values at, at, a, at, at, at a theme park, as they would call it, even though it's not technically a theme park. You can get a combo there for like 10 bucks, which is pretty good at Disney World. You know, you get the chicken sandwich, you get the fries, you get the sauces, you get the, 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 the fountain beverage, which, of course, I opt out of every time because they don't have Pepsi. They have Coke. You could get a Bart's root beer. Maybe I've done it before. I don't, I don't have to answer that to you, but... I just go for a cup of water. I, you see, my thing is always like at a fast food restaurant, especially like because I try to not consume too much soda, it's really easy for me to get a water because 99% of places here all have Coke 
instead of Pepsi. So I'm just always like, yeah, I'll just do a water. It makes your combo a little cheaper because you're not paying for a drink. It makes you a little healthier because you're drinking water instead of soda. And then the big one, you know, point number three, the big reason to get soda instead or water instead of soda is because soda is going to bloat you up and fill you up. Nah, stupid idiot. If you get water, you can just use that basically as a as a as a as a wedding agent to help you get more food down your goddamn throat. So, yeah, should I get a burger, fries, and a coke, or should I get two burgers, fries, and a water? You see what I'm saying there, guys? Just skip the coke, get yourself a second chicken sandwich. You, you'll thank me later. This is this is how I order fast food. And so, yeah, when I go to the chicken guy, I I skip the coke, but it's a it's a great. Great fast food restaurant. Um, I wish it. I wish there were more locations readily available because I think it is a shame that more of the world doesn't have this available. It's not like a drive-through fast food restaurant. It's like a like a Chipotle kind of like you go in, order at the counter, and leave kind of fast casual grab and go fast food restaurant, whatever you call that. But I wish they were more available. I really wish you could find chicken guys the way you find Chipotle's or Moe's or something like that. But uh, now because it is only available for the elite few, I must say, if you find yourself in the, in the big New York city, avoiding the COVID, um, if you find yourself at the Walt Disney world, attempting to get the COVID where it is prevalent, I recommend you go out of your way for some chicken guy. Now that's what I've been eating guys. I, I need to tell you about what I've been playing because I think sometimes we're supposed to talk about video games on this Xbox podcast. So this past weekend, and much to my surprise, I've played a shit ton of Call of Duty. So much Call of Duty, because the open beta for Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War happened over this past weekend, and, you know, I, I knew vaguely that it was taking place, but I got on my Xbox on Saturday, uh, and I saw, you know, the little ad on the dashboard. It's like, open weekend, Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War, open beta, play now. I was like, what the hell? I'm probably just going to play Doom, and then... I'll let this download in the background, and then when it's done downloading, I'll probably play a match of it and go, yeah, it's more Call of Duty, fuck that, and then delete it. That's fully what I was expecting to have happen, but I downloaded the beta, I got into Doom, I started playing Doom, and then when the beta finished downloading, I jumped into Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War and was immediately surprised by how much I just really, really enjoyed it. Like, this is the... And I feel weird saying this because, and I should preface with, for those of you who listened to this podcast uh, a year ago, you'll know that this time last year when Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2019 came out, I was going through the whole, wow, I never play Call of Duty anymore. Wow, I never like Call of Duty anymore. The, game, the franchise is just so lost on me. Like, I can't believe how good Modern Warfare is. Wow. I, I was, like, boycotting the game at first because it was going to have a mode that wasn't coming to Xbox, and I was all, like, anti-Modern Warfare, and then the game came out, and I caved, and I bought it, and I loved the campaign, and at the beginning of the game's release, I loved the multiplayer, and I was like, wow, this is the most fun I've had with Call of Duty since I was in high school. This is so much fun. Boom. Fast forward like two months after that game came out and Modern Warfare just fell off a cliff with me. Around the time Warzone came out, I was just like, eh, the multiplayer's lost on me. Everyone's camping. Everyone got really good at the game. Now, every time I get in a match, I just die left and right. It's not fun anymore. The campaign was a one and done thing. So yeah, it was fun, but it's not, I'm going to play it again. And then Warzone came out and I just didn't give a shit about Warzone. I still don't give a shit about Warzone. I don't like Battle Royales. I especially don't have time in my life for another one. So I just don't give a fuck about uh, Warzone. So Modern Warfare went from like a, 
wow, I didn't know I, I wanted to play Call of Duty again. To like, wow, this is a really good Call of Duty. To immediately being like, yeah, fuck this. It's just this thing that takes up way too much space on my hard drive. So when Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War finally announced, I was like, yeah, maybe one day I'll jump back into Call of Duty again. I had my fix last fall. You know, I think I'm ready to go back to ignoring this franchise. So I was expecting almost nothing from Black Ops. I only give you all that context to let you know, like, I just expected nothing from this. Like, I'm one of those people that's from the Call of Duty era of, like, I played 2 and 3 a little bit at the beginning of the Xbox 360 generation. And then, much like everyone else, when Call of Duty Modern Warfare came out, Call of Duty 4 back in 2007... That was like game over, you know, it's like, whoa, Call of Duty is this new thing. It's amazing. It became this thing that lit the world on fire. I fell in love with it. I loved Modern Warfare. And more so than that, in 2008, when Call of Duty World at War came out, that was it. That was like my call. Everyone has like their one Call of Duty. For most people, it's like Modern Warfare 2 or something like that. And I love Modern Warfare 2, but like, fuck. Call of Duty World at War, 2008, the original Nazi Zombies, that multiplayer suite, that is still to this day the pinnacle of Call of Duty. My absolute favorite game in the series. No no other Call of Duty will ever be able to top it. But, you know, after that, I still played Call of Duty. I played Modern Warfare 2. I played Black Ops. Um, and I feel like Black Ops 1 is kind of when the series started going downhill. They really fucked the zombies up in that game. I feel like the multiplayer was a little imbalanced and buggy. So I never quite liked Black Ops 1 nearly as much as any Call of Duty previous to that. Um, and then just kind of from there, I fell off. I thought Black Ops 2 was awful. Skipped Modern Warfare 3. Uh, skipped Ghost. Skipped a lot of them. I just started skipping most Call of Duties with, you know, say for like rare exception. Like I played like Advanced Warfare and that was about it. Yeah, last year, I kind of got Brock back into the fold of Call of Duty. I, I try to be one of those people who's a little more kind to Call of Duty because I feel like, quote-unquote, real gamers give that franchise a really hard time because because it's so ubiquitous, because it's so mainstream, because it's such a casual gamer multiplayer game. Like It's like the most like casual gamer hardcore game. If, if that makes sense, you know, because it sells so well and it's annualized, people just kind of look at it as it's like not a real game for real gamers. Call of Duty is like for losers. It's for like sports jocks, like Call of Duty is for people who play like Madden. Like I understand these stigmas against it, but there's no denying that at the end of the day, like Call of Duty is a solid first person shooter that controls and plays great. And the reason why it's done so well is because, you know, it's a good game. Aside from the fact that it's like visually and just kind of from a, a setting standpoint, like has appeal for general consumers. I think the brand has earned its reputation in that the games are generally pretty good and accessible and fun. So I'll try to give Call of Duty as much credit as I can in that regard, but I'm just one of those people who's mostly fallen off the bandwagon with the franchise altogether. But I I guess I'm getting back into it. I don't know what's fucking happening here, but all that all that preamble aside, Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War, man, like this is going to sound familiar if you heard me last year talking about Modern Warfare, but this is the most fun I've had playing a Call of Duty since, like, back in the old high school days when I was playing World at War and Modern Warfare 1 and 2. Like, this is just a really fun game. In a lot of ways, it feels like Black Ops 1, but, like, not in a bad way. And then it also feels like World at War and Modern Warfare 2. It just... It feels like the Treyarch Call of Duty that I remember playing. Like, I never played, in all fairness... Black Ops 3 and 4 because I thought Black Ops 2 was so shitty but like even without playing those games it's really easy to tell from like a from like 
from like an outsider's perspective that like they really let this franchise get away with itself. They just artistically and fundamentally just kept letting the game get more and more zany and ridiculous. And that's fine, I guess. There's no real reason why Call of Duty has to stay grounded and serious. But like it's just so weird, like being someone who's like a product of like the older Call of Duty games and then just seeing where the franchise has gone. But with Modern Warfare 2019 and with Black Ops Cold War, it's very clear that they're trying to rein it back in. They're trying to like really modernize and next genify the Call of Duty formula while also making it very uh, accessible and familiar and attractive to like old school Call of Duty players. And I think they've done a great job with it because Black Ops Cold War feels and looks like Modern Warfare 2019 a lot, except way better. I feel like they increase the time to kill, so the battles feel better. It's not like you're just, like, it's not a game of tag of, like, I saw you first, I shot a bullet, you're dead, bye. It just feels a little more intense and, tact and, and like, I don't know, just engaged, like, more like Halo is, where it's like you actually have to shoot people and there's actually an opportunity to turn the battle around if you're good at what you're doing. And then on top of that, I just think the map design, it really works in this game where I feel like I'm better at understanding like this is where people fight, this is where people are, there's probably someone up in this building, there's someone probably hiding behind that door. Like there's just, I feel like I have a better understanding of how the maps work in this game versus Modern Warfare 2019 where I felt like the maps were just all over the fucking place and it was like, I could play a map a hundred times in a row and I still would have no fucking clue where I'm getting shot from. So I, I just really like the aesthetic of the game, the guns in the game, the gun feel, the the time to kill increase. I love the slide they added to the game. It feels really good. The movement feels incredible, in fact. Uh, just all the attachments and the streaks and everything. I'm, I'm a huge fan of everything I played. In fact, I played so much of the beta that before the beta ended, I maxed out at level 40, which is the highest level you could get to on the beta. Like, I... I just played so much of it. I couldn't believe it. Like I had a pretty busy weekend where, you know, on Saturday I went to a haunted house and on Sunday I spent most of the day out at the park with uh, some coworkers. And then on Monday I had work, but then after work I came home to play the last night of the beta. So like I had a pretty busy Saturday through Monday while the beta was going on, but still managed to just play so many hours of this game because it was just that much fun. I just had to find time for it. So I'm really, I'm really looking forward to Black Ops Cold War. I, I mean, I, here I was a week or two ago saying, you know, I might get that. That might be a good game for the Series X because 120 FPS, FOV slider, 4K, all that shit. Like, this might be a good game to to mess around with on, on a new console. You know, it might be fun. And I went from that to, like, this is definitely a day one buy for me. Like, I'll I'll buy this game the day it comes out. I'll, I'll buy it the night before it comes out so I can pre-download it. Like, I'm, I'm excited for this. Like, it comes out three days after the Series X comes out on November 13th. So I'll download and play day and date. Like that's uh, I'm really looking forward to this. And and now the more I think about it um, with uh, Raven getting a chance to do the campaign, I'm like, well, that's good because I'm really excited to play a game from Raven for the first time in many years. And without Treyarch having to make the campaign, that just gives them more time to make the multiplayers and the zombies the best they can be. The zombies looks really good based off the trailer. Like I'm just, I'm really hyped about this Call of Duty, which is, kind of refreshing like I know Call of Duty is seen as like not a gamers kind of game but like I don't give a fuck I just think this game looks really good and the beta was awesome and I'm just excited to play more of it so it's it's fun kind of being excited about Call of Duty it kind of brings me back to like being 14 again so that's what I've been playing for the most part like I said I also played some Doom Eternal but kind of really need to get back to that and finish that up all right and that's gonna do it for everything that's not the news for this week so let's without further ado now that we're three hours in just jump into the news this week 
slow news week, like I said, but uh, we'll make the most of it for the short time we've got left. All right, our first story here this week comes from Windows Central. It is that Xbox head and executive vice president of gaming at Microsoft, Phil Spencer, talked about Microsoft's next-gen strategy, its upcoming consoles, and the acquisition of ZeniMax Media in an interview with Kotaku. When directly asked whether Microsoft could recoup its $7.5 billion investment without shipping Elder Scrolls uh, VI on PS5, Spencer responded with yes. He then provided a little more clarity while saying he didn't want to be flippant. He says, quote, This deal was not done to take games away from another player base like that. Nowhere in the documentation that we put together was there a, how do we keep the players from playing these games? We want more people to be able to play games, not fewer people to be able to play games. But I'll also say in the model, I'm just answering directly the question that you had. When I think about where people are going to be playing and the number of devices that we had, and we have xCloud and PC and Game Pass and our console base, I don't have to go and ship those games on any other platform other than the platforms that we support in order to kind of make a deal that works for us, whatever that means. While timed exclusives, or that's the end of the quote, and then it says, while timed exclusives on PS5, Deathloop, and Ghostwire Tokyo are being honored as pre-existing deals, it seems more and more that if games or if gamers want to play new Bethesda games, they'll need to invest in the Xbox ecosystem to some extent. Microsoft previously confirmed that all new Bethesda titles, including big upcoming games like Starfield, will launch day and date on Game Pass, but while existing li- while the existing library is also being added. So this seems like Pretty much exactly what you guys have been trying to hound in my face over and over and over again, which is that Phil Spencer is basically saying, yeah, we can take away Fallout and Elder Scrolls and shit from PlayStation gamers because if they say, well, now you're going to make us buy an Xbox to play your games, we're going to go, no, 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 no. You have an iPhone. You have an Android phone. You have a PC. Go and play the games there. You don't have to have a physical Xbox console and if you want to play these games. So, you know, it's like everyone has a PC, a laptop or whatever, an iPhone, an Android phone, whatever. So whether it's on your preferred console or not is an irrelevant part of the conversation in do I have access to this game, yes or no. So, yes, in that sense, I guess Xbox can use that as their win over why are you taking these games away from us on PlayStation? Sure, because it means, oh, I really want to play this new Elder Scrolls game. It's like, well, you got to give Xbox money. So, what does that mean? I got to buy an Xbox? No, it means you got to get Game Pass. And so, you can you can, you can can keep your PlayStation and never buy an Xbox and just use Game Pass so that you can stream it on your phone or stream it on you're uh, or played on your PC. So I think this is what a lot of you guys have been arguing. This is what a lot of people's perspective has been on the matter. And I think more and more of this makes sense and is probably what's actually happening. But like I said, at the top of the show, and like I've said so many times before, I just got to defend my point until the very end. Guys, I will be defending this point until the day Fallout 5 comes out on Xbox Series X, PC, and all that shit. And it's just not on PS5. Like that is when I will throw in the towel and say I was wrong. But until that moment, I think Phil Spencer's playing coy here. Because remember, he didn't just jump to the point where he says, when I think about where people are playing and the devices they have, uh, and we have xCloud and Game Pass on PC, blah, blah, blah. I don't think we have to ship those games on other platforms in order to in order to make a deal that will work for us. If he didn't just say that part, or if he had only said that part, that would be so different. But he prefaced with a part where he says, How do we keep other players from playing these games? We want more people to be able to play games, not fewer people to be able to play games. 
But I'll also say this. I'm just answering directly in the question you had. I just think that there's still an argument to be made for why you put these games on PlayStation. And now this is something I don't think will ever, ever, ever happen. But I'm telling you this. I think it is possible that Microsoft could put or would be interested in putting something like Game Pass on PlayStation at some day or at some point in time. Now, Sony, would they ever allow this? Of course not. That would never happen. But I think this is Phil Spencer's way of basically just saying, yeah, uh, we're not really thinking this of like what piece of physical hardware is the game coming for. We're thinking this of this as like what services is it coming to? And I think of that as xCloud and Game Pass. And those are the services that will allow you to play these games. So what devices do you have? Which devices do you have that support xCloud or, or Game Pass? Those are the devices where you can play uh, uh, Elder Scrolls and Fallout. So it's kind of a way of saying, yeah, we're not going to put these games directly on PlayStation without really saying that. It's kind of his way of like shying away from the question saying like, Think of it less about the physical box and more about the service, which, you know, we know that's the Xbox thing these days. So we this is somewhat of a predictable response, yet still somewhat, you know, shocking just because there, there were the likes of me trying to really rally against this idea that these games would be pulled from PlayStation. But I think what Spencer's basically saying is if the platform or if the hardware supports our services, then the game is available on that platform, meaning... If Sony wants to allow us to put Game Pass on PlayStation 5, we'll put Game Pass on PlayStation 5, and then you'll have Elder Scrolls on uh, PlayStation 5. But if they don't allow that, then look at the other devices you own. What other devices do support Game Pass? Because that's a that's a device you can play the game on. So you're not being you're not having the the game removed from you just because you don't have an Xbox. You're just having to play it on a different device. So. I think it's pretty cut and clear what he's saying here. I think it's pretty obvious he's saying, yeah, 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 yeah. If you want to play this on a PC or if you want to play these games on a console, you got to own an Xbox because let's just be honest, even though I think Microsoft would be interested in putting Game Pass on PlayStation, Sony would never go for it in a million years. I just don't think you're going to see that happen at all. Like that's not even open for discussion kind of thing. So yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what else to say about this without saying it looks like you guys are probably right here, but hang on. You never know, Phil Spencer. You know, I, like I said before, I know the guy. We go out to Denny's and shit all the time. We're always hanging out. He's always, like, calling me, asking how, you know, my girlfriend is and how we're doing. And I'm always like, oh, how are the kids? How's everything at home? And so we talk, and I know stuff. So just don't underestimate my uh my 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 arguments just yet now this second story here is not really a story because i just refuse to get into this but yes there was another phil spencer quote earlier this week where spencer was asked about halo infinite and he discussed you know the game halo infinite potentially releasing in phases or in pieces like releasing the multiplayer then the campaign then the forge stuff like that and i just i just really 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 don't think this is going to happen and i'm just really kind of tired of having this conversation so my reaction was like, uh, we're not really going to talk about this on the show, but I'm going to acknowledge that it's technically a thing that happened. When he was asked about it, his big quote, which I'll, I'll just read real quick. 
He says, you know, Bonnie, referring, of course, to Bonnie Ross, the head of 343 Industries, he says Bonnie and the team will go and drive in those uh, go and drive those decisions. But I think that we will want to make sure people feel that they have a, a halo experience. I think we can look at the options like that. According to Kotaku, Spencer continued by highlighting that the type of approach would have a factor in Halo Infinite structure and storytelling strategy. So, yeah, he's Phil Spencer says, I think that's something to think about, but we want to make sure that we do it right, he concluded. I think that's kind of his way of saying, like, yeah, we could, but really what I'm trying to say here is that the Halo Infinite experience is like this whole, like, thing. We can't really be releasing it in pieces because, remember, Halo Infinite is like a service, and we want to release that service. You know, this is the next... This is the Halo platform. This is the next... 10 years of the Halo franchise. So we want to release this game in in a really good phase one state. We want to release with the campaign and the multiplayer and all the shit in one place. And the idea being that, you know, this is the foundation for Halo and its future. And that story gets kind of muddled when you release it in chunks and pieces. So he's being careful to say, like, it's not fully my decision. Like, I'll give 343 the opportunity to make the decision for themselves. But also, no, I'm not. I'm not saying here to say that I want to rush this out the door and put the multiplayer out just because the campaign needs more polish or or something like that. So I really don't want to get into this story because I'm tired of hearing it get brought up. I'm tired of hearing people speculate about it. I think Halo Infinite is going to come out as one complete package. You might see things. I mean, obviously you'll see things added and added over time and over the years, but they want to get a base multiplayer campaign and forge experience all complete and ready to go before they ship it out. They don't want to piecemeal it because again, remember Halo Infinite has a shit ton riding on it. This is this is really the last effort to make Halo a massive known brand. Like if Halo, if Halo Infinite comes out and is 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 as successful as something like Halo Five, that doesn't mean that franchise is over. Like obviously you can continue to make Halo and make a lot of money, but it means that Halo is kind of permanently relegated to this space of like something that's fallen from grace, something that's kind of like a mid tier exclusive game. It's not. You know, it's not like the killer app system seller game. It's just Halo. It's this thing that's stuck around for a long time. And Microsoft really wants to make sure they don't let that happen to this franchise because Halo is the thing that built Xbox. Remember, without Halo, there was no Xbox. So Halo is a really special franchise and it's a very profitable franchise. And if maintained and handled correctly, Halo Infinite can be that thing that it, it can, as I've said before, it's it's it can be their Zelda Breath of the Wild. And that's the whole point of Halo Infinite. So even though it's so disappointing that the game is delayed and, and it really is going to hurt the launch of the Series X in terms of like how attractive it is with its lineup and everything, this really was the right decision to just, just delay the whole project and and then hopefully later to release it all as one ready-to-go package because you got to have that first impression just be incredible. And they're already off to a bad start because that initial reveal gameplay demo left so many people, you know, underwhelmed. So... I really think the whole point here with Halo Infinite is to release all as one package, knock their socks off, blow them out of the water, and 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 put Halo back on the map as like one of the all-time most serious and respected franchises in gaming. So that's why I think there's just no discussion to be had about this outside of outside of me having this discussion right now. It just really is as simple as the game has to release as a complete package. It really would be detrimental and uh, short-sighted. Uh, to to release it in any other state, I think. And our final news story of this short, short, slow news week is that uh, a reoccurring one we do every month here. The September 2020 uh, NPD numbers are in for the month. 
And with that, we get a scope of what uh, what were the best-selling games of the month and kind of a snapshot of where we are in the gaming industry as a whole for the year in terms of sales, trends, performance. So the total sales and games gaming revenue for the month of September 2020 were $4.3 billion, which was up 10% year over year, thanks COVID. Next, we knew that uh, we know that video game content is up $3.8 billion or is at $3.8 billion, up from 3.5 year over year. Video game hardware is at $177 million, which is up 15% year over year. And finally, video game accessories are up are at $191 million, which is 30% up over year over year. So with that said, we have the top 20 best-selling games on the MPD numbers uh, for the U.S. And remember that the Nintendo shit doesn't count for digital sales. So anytime you see a Nintendo game on here, just bump it up a couple places because Nintendo be making that hard money, yo. So number one, and we'll and we'll go down the list. So the number one best-selling game for the month of September was Marvel's Avengers, which is no real surprise just because the brand itself really sells it, but Marvel's Avengers was the number one best-selling game for the month of September. At the number two spot, we had Super Mario 3D All-Stars, Madden NFL 21 at number three, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 at the number four spot, NBA 2K21 at the number five spot, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2019 at the, tw- at the number six spot, Crusader Kings 3 at number seven, Animal Crossing New Horizons at eight, at nine we have Star Wars Squadrons, 10 Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, 11 Crash Bandicoot 4 It's About Time, 12, Ghost of Tsushima, 13, Ring Fit Adventure, 14, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, 15, UC, UFC Fighting, 15, UFC 4, 16, New Super Mario Bros. U Deluxe, 17, Zelda Breath of the Wild, 18, Super Mario Odyssey, 19, Mortal Kombat 11, and 20, Super Mario Party. It's uh, crazy to think that basically the last the last five or six uh, games there are all just a bunch of fucking Switch games that you know, have been out for years, which is crazy. Notice that Minecraft just wasn't on this list, which is a little unusual. But yeah, I think Marvel's Avengers at the top spot makes sense. It was a big, uh, it's a big AAA blockbuster game with obviously a massive IP attached to it. So that doesn't surprise me too much. But the interesting thing about that is we've since learned that the game has really fallen off like crazy in recent weeks after its release and that there are reports that like there are only like 2,000. Sometimes on Steam, they're reporting the concurrence for players or like 2,000 players, and that's just like absolutely ridiculous. So it looks like the game's in a little bit of a troubled state, and Crystal Dynamics and, and Square Enix have already kind of spoken up about planning on like overhauling certain things in the games, tr- the game to try and bring people back in and make it more enticing. But this is kind of what I feared with Marvel's Avengers is I, I said the game just didn't look you know, all that enticing that for whatever reason, it just, there's something kind of off about it. And I think a lot of people felt that way. And now we're kind of see that exactly come to fruition where it had this initial burst of success because Marvel and Avengers and that brand and the promise of making like a true, you know, high quality AAA experience in that, in that world. But then immediately people came to terms with like, Hey, we're done with these world games as a service. We don't have room for another one of these to be Marvel and all this shit. Like, come on. And there's just something about the game that just kind of falls flat. So, and there we go. I mean, I don't, I don't know. We'll have to see how they turn that one around. Other than that, you know, some other, some other important things here, animal crossing still dominating. Um, Tony Hawk's doing pretty well. That new Crash Bandicoot game, I guess, barely made it on there. I thought that came out in October, so I don't know how how that or 
Star Wars Squadrons made it on there because those are both October releases, I believe. But maybe maybe it's pre-order numbers. I don't know. But lastly, there are the top 10 best-selling games uh, of 2020 in the U.S. just overall. So the top 10 best-selling games for the year so far are number one, Call of Duty Modern Warfare, two, Animal Crossing New Horizons, three, The Last of Us Part Two. 4, Madden NFL 21, 5, Ghost of Tsushima, 6, Final Fantasy 7 Remake, 7, Marvel's Avengers, 8, Dragon Ball Z, Kakarot, 9, MLB The Show 20, and 10, Super Mario Bros. 3D, Super Mario 3D All-Stars. Just knowing that Super Mario All-Stars is somehow there on the list already, having only been out for a few weeks, but it's already number 10 best-selling game of the year is just absolutely insane Nintendo shit. But yeah, nothing's really too surprising on that list otherwise. Now we'll get into the important enough news story. Stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussion. So first one is that the new Xbox app is officially out on iOS and Android. You can download it now. You can now do party chats from the app. The app is also still missing a lot of features. It's like kind of missing a lot of shit that I used to use a lot. Like can't really track achievements and stuff like that. So there's a lot of work to be done, but it now brings over that new fluent design that the Xbox dashboard now has and that Microsoft's been kind of transitioning over to. So looks sexy. Go ahead and download it or update your app or whatever to experience that. Next, uh, on November 17th, Halo, the Master Chief Collection, will become fully optimized for Xbox Series X and S, featuring 120 FPS in campaign and multiplayer, split-screen improvements, and up to 4K resolution on Series X. The update will be available to existing owners who are subscribed to Game Pass at no additional cost. And Aaron Greenberg, GM of Games Marketing at Microsoft, have also, has also confirmed that Halo, the Master Chief Collection, will also support cross-gen play and adjustable FOV. Adjustable FOV and 20... 120 FPS. That is very exciting news. I'm very pumped about that. And I think a lot of people seem to be really hyped about this news. So that's a really, really exciting one. But yeah, not not much to talk about there. Just more amazing updates for Xbox Series owners uh, and more great Halo Master Chief Collection updates. Next, we got that Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Siege is coming to Xbox Game Pass on October 22nd. As confirmed by Xbox Wire, Rainbow Six Siege is being added to Xbox Game Pass for console and cloud gaming for on Android. Next, we've learned that Assassin's Creed Valhalla has officially gone gold, according to Ubisoft, which bodes well for uh, no more delays and a smooth launch coming November 10th, 2020, which means the game is now certified, being printed and shipped out, so the game is ready to go in its day one form. Uh, but not necessarily free from a day one update, but the game's basically done and coming to you. So that game is, is uh, things are coming together. Things are happening here. In a blog post giving players a state of game update on Marvel's Avengers, Crystal Dynamics revealed that the next generation upgrade for Marvel's Avengers is being delayed into 2021. Players will have to wait for the improvements planned for Xbox Series X and Series S. Next, Starfield is the next Bethesda, big Bethesda game. Uh, and while it may still be a ways off, it looks like the feature it'll be. Uh, it looks like it'll feature completely new animation works, uh, as spotted on Reset Era senior program pro- programmer at Bethesda Games Studios, Eric uh, Braun wrote on his LinkedIn account that he rewrote the animation system for Starfield from scratch. More specifically, he replaced the Havoc-based animation system with previously used for something uh, custom. That'll be in Starfield and will feature all. It will be featured in all Bethesda Games Studios games, presumably referring also to Elder Scrolls Six. This lines up with statements from Todd Howard recently about how uh, the partnership with Microsoft have helped them as a studio uh, to bring the studio's largest engine overhaul since Oblivion. Next, we know that two Blizzard 
entertainment veterans Tim Morton and Tim Campbell uh, are starting a new studio called Frost Giant Studios. Morton previously worked as production lead on StarCraft II Legacy of the Void, while Campbell was working uh, as a lead designer on the Frozen Throne expansion for Warcraft 3, as well as, as well as having worked on Wasteland 3. While it's, in its early, while it's in its early days, the team is working on a PC real-time strategy game and has already raised about $4.7 million so far. And lastly, the next-gen version of NBA 2K21 on PS5 and Xbox Series X will feature next-gen AI and new My Player customization. The next-gen version is set to release on November 10th and on November 12th on Series X and PS5, respectively. And 2K have released a slew of details today. The next-gen version of NBA 2K21 is set to launch on November 10th on the Xbox Series X, and 2K have released a slew of new details today about uh, AI and my player customization. That is going to do it for all the news and shit of the week, you guys. Now, we will jump into our top five Xbox One segment that was promised weeks ago, so let's let's get over to that. Okay, so as I brought up a, a couple weeks ago, you know, as, as we start to really sunset these final days of the Xbox One before the Xbox Series S and X come out. Uh, I just wanted to find some slower news weeks to kind of stop and, and, and pay some homage and celebrate kind of the end of this really special era of gaming. As I've said, you know, I won't get into it too much, but Xbox One is just a really special console generation for me. And I don't know if I would say it's my favorite generation. It's kind of hard to tell, you know, this closely attached to it. Um, but I can see it really growing on me even more as, you know, as we start to get removed from it and start to look at it in the past. And I just want to kind of take a step back and celebrate, you know, Xbox One it, as a generation kind of properly began in November of 2013 and and is now coming to a close in November of 2020. So, I had a really nice 7-year run and um I just think it's uh I don't know, it's it's crazy to think that much time has gone by. When I think back to like, you know, my early memories of playing the Xbox 1 when it was like a brand new console back in like 2014 and whatnot, I just I have such a hard time like wrapping my brain around the fact that that was like 7 years ago and that, you know, the Xbox One's now considered old because I, I just remember a lot in like the Xbox 360 generation that towards like the last two or three years of the of the 360, it just got to the point where it was like the Xbox 360 is getting so old. Like it's time for a new console. I cannot believe they haven't put out a new Xbox yet. You know, that was kind of the feeling towards the end of the 360. But with the Xbox One, I don't feel that way at all. With the Xbox One, I'm just like, I, I can't believe it's been a full console cycle, you know? And now the Xbox 360 had eight years before the Xbox One replaced it, but the Xbox One only has seven years. So it's not, it's it's a pretty comparable lifespan, you know? Especially if you look back a couple generations ago, generations used to only last like four to six years. Like five was pretty average. So for all, all things considered, this has been a rather lengthy console generation. You know, the Xbox One has ran its course and I understand you know, we need more power. Like, like developers need more powerful boxes to develop for. We need to hire the lowest common denom- lowest common denominator and kind of so we can get better experiences out there. I, I get all that, but it's just crazy to me that when I think about Xbox One just conceptually or just a, in a general sense, like as a console, as a brand, my memories that pertain to it, like I still just think about where I was in like 2014 when when I was just getting used to the box and it was my new Xbox console and I just feel like man that was like just the other day maybe this is just more realization about me feeling old because I'm that far removed now from 
finishing high school and college and and uh, and you know just everything that I associate with the launch era of Xbox One. So I don't know. I just thought it'd be all this like pointless meandering and rambling aside. I just thought it'd be fun to reflect back on on this generation that I think has been very special. I've, I've mentioned before how you know there's something really special about being an Xbox fan during a generation like this, much in the way that I think there's something really special about like having been a PlayStation fan, you know, back during the PS3 days because you know the 360, I was I was an Xbox 360 guy and I was actually like 50% 360, 50% Wii because I was still so far up Nintendo's ass back then, but I, I don't know, I was I was a pretty much I was pretty much an Xbox 360 guy back then and you know, I love the 360. I remember it so, so fondly. It's objectively a phenomenal console with a great lineup of games and a great feature set. But the Xbox 360 was such an easy console to love, especially if you're, like, from the U.S. like me or if you're from, like, Australia or somewhere where Xbox just kind of dominates um, or at least back then really dominated because, you know, it was the popular console. It was the one everyone had. It was the PS4 of the time, right? It was like you ask most people, oh, you, you got Call of Duty? What, you play it on Xbox? Okay, me too. And that was the 360. So, yeah, I mean, it was a great console that deserved its success. But, you know, it was there's there's something that's like kind of like unimpressive about being a part of the winning team or the, or the popular team. But, you know, being a being a diehard Xbox fan during the Xbox One generation has been a little bit more challenging. I, I wouldn't say challenging because for me, it has not been challenging, but it's been a little more like, I guess, um, puzzling to some maybe because it's like to most people, you know, the sides flipped and now it's like, oh, PS4 all the way. Fuck Xbox One. But for, for me and for, I assume, many of us listening to the show, a- Xbox One was a really awesome generation. It was a really awesome console and it served us really well with some awesome, awesome games. And so that's kind of why I want to do this is I just want to celebrate a console that I feel like has been really good to us these past seven years. And, you know, it's going to be kind of like, uh, like kind of sad to just say goodbye to that and be like, all right, now we're going to kind of move on to the next thing. And I, I just feel like history is going to look back at the Xbox One as like this, uh, the time Xbox fucked up so badly and just couldn't make up for it and couldn't get that lost ground made up and just uh, really screwed themselves for an entire console generation. But for people like me, I'm just going to look back on it and think, wow, that was a really awesome seven years of Xbox. And uh, I just, I don't know, it was there just during a very seminal, informative part of my life. And uh, I just, uh, I want to say goodbye to it in a special way. So let's just kind of jump into this with all the uh, mushy stuff aside. Uh, I guess how I'll kick this off, I, I, I went back and forth. Should I read yours first? Should I read mine first? So I guess I'll just be selfish and just read it the way I have it formatted here, which is I'll go through my list first. And then we'll go through your guys' lists. I don't want to li- linger on any one list for too long because I don't I don't really see what the value of that is. You know, without you guys here to have a mic and speak your, your voice as well and really go in detail on these, there's no real reason for us to meander on any one list for too long. So I'll just run through mine and then we'll run through everyone's and just kind of pay attention to some patterns and reoccurring themes and see if there's any like really good games here that stand out that maybe some of us forgot, you know, about and... Just kind of see where this takes us. So with my list, um, I'll start with number five and go to number one. Obviously, my number one is my number one. So five is uh, for number five. I put Gears of War four. So this is a really this is probably my most controversial pick I put on my list because I think Gears five is objectively a better game than Gears four. It looks better. It plays better. It has a better story, a better campaign better multiplayer. It's just a better game through and through. I really love Gears 5, but Gears 4 is such a special game to me 
so I just had to put it above in terms of like sentimental reasons. So yeah, if I'm going to go play Gears of War for fun, I'm going to play Gears 5. But if I'm going to talk about the Gears of War game that has like the most emotional resonance with me, uh, just in the whole franchise, it's actually the fourth game. And that's because, you know, I, I, I brought up on the show before, I was not a Gears of War fan in the 360 days. In fact, I kind of begrudgingly played through the first two and just really didn't enjoy those games a lot. Uh, for the longest time, and then there's just something about Gears of War 4, like, just around the time it came out, I actually played it, like, a year later, but when Gears of War 4 came out, it was just kind of that thing where I'm like, you know, Xbox doesn't have that many console exclusives coming out, and Gears of War is kind of this franchise I've always neglected, but I've wanted to appreciate more just because I know it's obviously a massive Xbox franchise, and I just wanted to get it, so eventually, you know, when around, I, I guess I played it when Game Pass first came out, so early 2018, um, but I finally was just like, fuck it, Game Pass, why would I not just give it a try? So I downloaded it and was like, maybe now that I'm a little older, I'll just suddenly like Gears of War um, as a franchise, and that's kind of exactly what happened, but... As I know this because I went back to play some of the older ones again to, to see if I'm just going crazy or what, but I genuinely like the Coalition's Gears of War better than, than Epic Games because I've gone back and since tried to like replay some of the older ones, and I just think the Coalition makes better stories, more compelling characters, and I just enjoy their games better. And I don't really care if that's controversial. This is just my arbitrary preference. So Gears of War 4 was an absolute treat to me. Like, as someone who always struggled to appreciate this franchise, Gears of War 4 had me hooked instantly. Like, I loved all the new characters. I loved the way they brought Marcus back into the franchise. I thought the game played amazing. It looked beautiful. The setting was great. The visuals, everything about the game, it sounds great. It's so fun. I just really loved Gears 4. In fact, I beat the game in, like, two sittings. I was, like, I was hooked. I started playing it, and then I just played the shit out of it, and then I remember I went to work, got home, played a bunch of it, then slept in, and then the next day I just played through the rest of it. I just played the fuck out of that game. I had so much fun with it. And I just remember being shocked. Like, I can't believe how much I genuinely loved playing a Gears of War game because of Gears 4. And that that will just always stick with me because it went from being a franchise that I struggled to appreciate to one I just instantly fell in love with after playing this. And, you know, I was able to go back and replay some of the old ones and things like that and appreciate them better. Um, but more so, it got me pumped for the future of the franchise so that when Gears 5, you know, as it was coming out and as the the marketing cycle and everything was getting ready to to go on for Gears 5, I was actually able to be like, yeah, for the first time, there's a new, new Gears of War game on the horizon, and I'm excited about it. I can't wait to play it. I can't wait to be there day one and to be a part of the quote-unquote conversation and, you know, actually experience the launch of a new Gears of War game the way I experienced, like, the launch of a new Halo. So uh, Gears of War is the it's the game that started it for me, and I don't I don't know. I think it's a combination of what the Coalition has done with the franchise, but maybe it's also a little bit of I just grew up and kind of grew into this kind of game. But Gears of War 4, I just uh, I have a really fond and special memory of that game because it's the one that just made me like Gears of War. So Gears 5, probably a better game, yeah. But Gears 4, very special place in my heart. So I put it there at my number 5 spot. Um, now, I would have I would have put... Uh, I, I, or I, as a side note, I would just like to mention this. Even though I do think Gears 5 is technically a better game, I will say I think Gears 4 actually has a better horde mode, but that's about it. Otherwise, Gears 5 is a really, really great game. So that's my number 5 pick. For number 4... I put uh, Quantum Break, and this shouldn't come as too much of a surprise. I talk about this game kind of a, 
a, quite a bit. This was a this was a big game. Like during the early parts of the Xbox One era, this this game was like heavily teased and advertised as like an upcoming big game for Xbox. And you know, Quantum or uh, Remedy had at this point had a long history with, with Microsoft, especially with Alan Wake and everything. And it just kind of seemed like, oh, okay, this is their next thing with Microsoft, whatever. And it, I remember it just being kind of surprising when the game finally came out because it just came out and no one gave a shit and this was as some people might remember was the first xbox game to do the whole you know buy it on xbox and you just get it on pc for free um so this was kind of an important game in the in as we stepped into the world of like xbox and pc kind of being all in one but uh quantum break is just a really really excellent game it's a really interesting story with really cool characters and somehow Somehow they managed to pull off this whole balance of gameplay and TV episodes and not make it totally corny and shitty. Like the when you when you unlock a part in the game where you get like the next TV episode and have to sit down and watch 30 minutes of the show before you can get to the next level, you would think that's such an infuriating thing, but no, like the pacing is so good and just feels so rewarding to be like, yeah, I made it through this big chunk of gameplay and now I get to turn off the controller and sit back and watch an episode of TV and it just feels like one continuation of the story but somehow it just fits and works and it's kind of really weird because Remedy really solved a problem with Quantum Break that I've had with gaming pretty much forever especially story driven games and um, I don't know if any other games ever really address this problem so well which is that you know games are so gamey you know for better or for worse like I was thinking of like God of War on PS4 you know what a story driven game that is and how there's constantly like I I was thinking about actually how that's one of my favorite games of the generation because it just really is a phenomenal game but I was just thinking about how like the game despite being such an emotional moving game is so limited from a storytelling perspective um, with like where the characters can go and what they can do because there's this obligation to be a game so like you know, Kratos has to fight bad guys, even though he's having these conversations with his kid and his, his, in, in the player can only do so much because even though there are slow moments and moments where you talk and walk and explore and puzzle solve for the most part, the gameplay is combat. So like whenever you have a game, that's a video game, you're just kind of limited by the boundaries of what a video game and a video game mechanic requires the player to do. But what quantum break really solves, you know, unlike pretty much any game other than this is that it allows for both kinds of storytelling to to exist and for both you know the developer to have their cake and eat it too where it can be gamey it can be explore exploration and combat and you know and all these things that are very gamey but it can also be really compelling storytelling because the transition from game gameplay to tv show to gameplay and back and forth is so convincing and so well done by against all odds that the game actually really allows you to or, or the game really manages to expand its storytelling horizons because the game isn't limited to just the kind of boring shit that TV can do because it can be a really fun video game. And then the TV show isn't limited by, you know, the or isn't limited by the boundaries of a video game. So therefore the characters don't constantly have to be jumping and running and shooting and fighting and punching and taking cover because, you know, the TV show can be a TV show and the game can be a game and both can play up the strengths of their respective mediums. And when combined together, especially as well as Remedy did when they combine those two elements together to make Quantum Break a video game, 
they really just nailed it all around, and it just made the game, you know, it's. I'm not going to say like Quantum Break is the most impressive story I've ever experienced in a video game. It's not, but it is a really good story, and it is a really good video game. But managing to balance those two very unlike mediums that should not work together well, uh, and managing to balance them very well against all odds, they were able to really create a type of storytelling that was just an extra layer of immersive because it was a great show and a great game and both elements played up one another and kind of um, made up or compensated for the other one's shortcoming. And I think that's just something we've never seen in a game. And so, yeah, I love the characters. I love the gameplay. I love the story, but I also really love how they managed to pull off something that really just should not have worked. And it's quite a, it's really just quite a shame because quantum break has now gone on to be like the last Remedy console exclusive Xbox game. You know, they went on, they made Control Next, which I loved, but you know, now it's now they're multi-platform and they're not working with Xbox directly. And I don't know, there's just there was just something special about that era where it felt like Remedy was this unofficial like team of X at, at Xbox and and uh Quantum Break is kind of like the last one of those games. So I just had a really great experience playing that game and I have a lot of respect for that and I think it's a it's a game that really represents the Xbox console well, which is a console that has great games, great experiences, um, really compelling worlds and stories to explore, but just went totally unnoticed and uncared for, you know, like like it's it's just crazy. Like you you hear like the most average people, like not the so you hear the most like how do I say this? Like like normie or more like casual type of gamers talk about playing games like God of War and 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 Uncharted and The Last of Us, which is really exciting because that's a really great thing PlayStation's managed to accomplish is they've gotten a lot of people who aren't quote unquote hardcore gamers to get out of their comfort zone and play really awesome story driven games like God of War and like Uncharted. But for whatever reason, I feel like Microsoft really struggles in getting that. And I feel like Xbox One was full of games and experiences like that, where it's like, they just, like, this is a game that more people outside of gamers should have paid attention to. Like, I feel like if you could just get people who just casually played The Last of Us to just casually play Quantum Break, they'd really appreciate it. But unfortunately, Quantum Break kind of got rele- relegated to Xbox gamers and Remedy gamers and fans of this specific thing for the most part and just kind of flew under the radar, unfortunately, which is such a shame because it's a really, really good game. But yeah, that's Quantum Break at my number four. I'll try to move a little faster. I didn't mean to linger so much on mine, but of course I'm here being a little self-indulgent. For my number three spot, I put Titanfall and I mean Titanfall one. That's not a typo. I did not mean to put Titanfall two. Titanfall two is an incredible campaign. I think that game is one of the best FPS campaigns I've ever played. It's just really, really impressive. But if I'm being super honest, I don't know what it is. I still can't pinpoint it to this day, but even though Titanfall 2 technically is just a better game, it's just more Titanfall, better, better refined and all this stuff, I just didn't get into Titanfall 2 the way I did with the first one. Like, with Titanfall 1, it was my launch game. You know, I it was the game I played with my Xbox when I got it, and I played the fuck out of it. I just played so much Titanfall. I loved, loved, loved that first Titanfall. And of course, the first Titanfall didn't have a campaign. It was just the multiplayer. So it wasn't like there was really anything else to play. But maybe it's because it was like that exciting new feeling of like new game on a new console. Of course, I'm going to play a lot of it. But I just played so much fucking Titanfall 1. And I have so I have so many great memories with it that when I think about it, it's like, 
when I think about like the early days of the Xbox One, Titanfall is the game that descri- that defines it. It's like Titanfall is the number one definition of like what the Xbox One was for me in its early days. So I just I just loved the hell out of that game. In fact, Titanfall is the was the perfect example. I remember for the longest time, that's why I wasn't playing Call of Duty. Speaking of Call of Duty, it was because I was like, well, you know what? I, I have Halo, which is always my main go-to shooter, but Titanfall is my Call of Duty replacement. Fuck it. Titanfall is so good. And it actually kind of makes me really sad that we're just like not getting a Titanfall 3 because I really, really loved Titanfall 1 and 2. But Titanfall 1 in particular just has to be there at that number one spot. It's... uh. It's just the thing that, you know, it was my go-to game for so long on the Xbox. And even though the second one has a phenomenal campaign, something about the multiplayer just didn't quite do it for me as much. I just, I still don't get what it is. I don't, I don't, maybe they just overdid it by adding too many types of Titans and overcomplicating the formula or something. But that first, that first entry is just perfect game. Such a good game. Uh, One of my most favorite, like all-time favorite multiplayer experiences is just my memories playing Titanfall still to this day really really regret not buying that Titanfall Xbox One controller back when it came out in 2014 it sold out super fast was never available again and I always wished I bought one but uh yeah that's my number three pick for sure is Titanfall um and then for the number two spot I put Sunset Overdrive of course Insomniac I've made it no uh secret that Insomniac is one of my all-time favorite video game developers so the fact that you know, one of my favorite developers of all time, Insomniac, a team that, well, now is owned by Sony, but at the time was still independent, but had a really long history of working exclusively with Sony. The fact that they were going to make a game exclusively for Xbox was so mind-blowing because I'm like, wow, my favorite gaming platform, one of my favorite developers that does not work with Xbox are going to team up and make a game. Not only that, but Sunset Overdrive is just the coolest fucking game. It's like, it's Tony Hawk, it's Spider-Man, it's uh, it's Guitar Hero. It's just all like the crazy cool stylist, like punk games I love. And it's just, it's one of the most unique and fun games I've ever played. It's just, Sunset Overdrive, I, I really truly believe this from the bottom of my heart. That if you have access to an Xbox and you just refuse to play Sunset Overdrive... You deserve the absolute worst. You deserve to find someone you fall madly in love with. And they should fall madly in love with you. And then that person should be ripped away from your life. Like, you should just lose everything and then just die alone. Because Sunset Overdrive is such an incredible game that just got no love and no attention and not nearly enough sales when it just deserved the absolute world. And the only reason why I really wish it had gotten the sales and the attention is because... I wish Microsoft and and, and, uh, Insomniac were affirmed that we really love this and we want more of this because I would have loved to have gotten another one of these and and to have seen this be a success for Insomniac and Microsoft, but I'm just grateful that we even got the one. Everything about this game, the art was so charming. The punk soundtrack was so goddamn good. I remember like every time you die and respawn, there's just a different ridiculous animation as you come back and and just the grinding all over like rooftops and, and phone wires and everything like like Tony Hawk slash Spider-Man. The game is just so kinetic. The, the, the traversal is just so incredibly fun. 
The combat is super wacky. It has the classic like Ratchet and Clank arsenal of just zany, wacky, super fun weapons to play with. The game is so good. Comedically, it's just on point the whole time. So, so funny. Just, I cannot say enough good things about Sunset Overdrive. If like, if I worked for IGN, I would give this game like a 9.8 out of 10. I would do one of those like, fuck you, you couldn't have just given it the extra point or two and given it a 10. Like, Sunset Overdrive is just so good. For, and it just has no reason being that good. In fact, like, I always hear people say like, Sunset Overdrive or Marvel's Spider-Man on PS4 is like the spiritual successor to Sunset Overdrive because Insomniac is really uh, playing off of that traversal mechanics that they built in Sunset Overdrive to be Spider-Man, you know, web swinging and climbing buildings. I actually disagree with this point because I played Spider-Man on PS4. I played all the DLC. I, I played so much of that game. I love that game. It's a fantastic game. But uh, if I'm being really honest... Sunset Overdrive is not only a better game than Spider-Man PS4, but Sunset Overdrive actually has better traversal. Like, I, I find jumping off car hoods and bouncing off cars and bouncing off uh, off of, uh, like, um, building tops and grinding wires and wall running and jumping from building to building, I find that so much more fun in Sunset Overdrive than just swinging around and climbing buildings like Spider-Man. If, if anything, Spider-Man feels like a, a much more tame version of Sunset Overdrive. Uh, Sunset Overdrive is like the the Overdrive version of, of Spider-Man mechanics. So I, I actually greatly disagree with this notion that like, it's Insomniac built Sunset Overdrive, which actually ended up being a good foundation for Spider-Man. I feel like Spider-Man is a toned-down version of Sunset Overdrive. Sunset Overdrive is just so, so good. I don't know how else to put this. Like, if you don't... If you choose not to play Sunset Overdrive, you should have happiness ripped from your life for eternity. It's just such a good game, and it really should be a hate crime to not play this game. I just... I don't know how to stress that enough. Such a good game. So happy to put it at my number two spot. I really, really wish that we lived in a world where we could get another one of these or or the game just could have gotten more of the appreciation and respect it deserved because clearly a lot of love and work went into this game. And it's just such a... Also, such a unique game in, in an industry that's just become so samey where everything's a battle royale, everything's a series shooter, everything's about, you know, a, a dire situation where ever, someone's about to lose it all. It's like, no, Sunset Overdrive is fucking wacky. It's a it's an energy drink that's turning everyone into zombies, and it's just over the top and super punk rock, and it's just such a crazy fun gaming. Phenomenal soundtrack, phenomenal art style, phenomenal mechanics, super original game, incredibly funny. Cannot say enough good about Sunset Overdrive. Just one of the greatest games of the generation. Um, and yeah, it just absolutely like it, it would be my number one if it weren't for the fact that my number one exists. And so with that said, I'll wrap up with my, my list here where my number one is Halo five guardians. That should come as absolutely no surprise to anyone listening. Of course, Halo five guardians is my number one game because one, I feel like putting master chief collections kind of cheating. Cause those are three sixty games. And two, because Halo 5 is just fucking phenomenal. I, I, I don't know what to say about Halo 5 at this point that hasn't already been said. You guys know me. You know that I'm one of the rare Halo fans that doesn't pick a, a side. I don't pick a parent here. I don't say I'm Team Bungie or Team 343. I think Bungie built just the most phenomenal world with the Halo universe. And I'll always be in Bungie's debt for having created Halo. And I love their games. I think Halo 3 is such a masterpiece. But I think 343... Has the has handled the franchise so well, and I think they've taken some really 
really awesome risks with the game that, in my opinion, have paid off. And I know it's controversial to some. I know a lot of people find ways to hate on Halo. And if Bungie didn't make it, it's not a real Halo game and all that bullshit. But, like, fuck all of that. I think Halo 5 is such a phenomenal game. I think the gameplay is the best Halo's ever been. It just feels so good. All the ways they move the formula forward are so great. They really... They really balanced out all the things that Halo 4 introduced but didn't really know how to fully, you know, um, make good on in terms of, like, aiming down sights and running and and all these kinds of things. And by taking away the Halo Reach, like, stupid perk system I kind of dislike where, like, you pick up this ability and you drop it and then you pick up this ability, they really doubled that. They developed this really awesome... Um, Spartan ability system that I, I'm really sad that we pretty much just know it's not in Halo Infinite because I love Spartan abilities. I love Ground Pound. I love the Thruster boost. I love all of it. It's just so... Halo 5 feels so good. And if you're someone who, who like pays attention to Halo outside just the games and looks at the extended lore, as I've begun to do in, in recent years, you really realize that like th- I think 343 has a better grip over who Master Chief is than Bungie did. And I, I say that as someone where, like, you can read the old Halo books and play the old Bungie games, and I feel like Master Chief is a little bit of a different character in both, where he's a lot more talkative and a lot more developed in the books, whereas in the games he's a lot more of a silent protagonist who's just, like, a one-trick pony who just shoots and shoots and melees and throws grenades. But 343 really evolves what the Spartans are and what who Master Chief is by really, you know, exploring further, like, what makes him human, what motivates him, what, how, where his emotions and where his heart and his head are at, and these are, th- and they still do it while making him that silent badass protagonist. And I think Halo Five does that really well, and I think Halo Five really explains Spartans well. And it's just sad to me that we can't have run and we can't have ground pound and we can't have uh, clamber. Although I think clamber's staying in uh, Halo Infinite, and you can't have like all these uh, Spartan abilities and really awesome mechanics that Halo Five introduced because you know Halo diehards and the star wars fans as i call them of the halo universe just have to bitch and moan and just these these inept incapable people who could literally never in their whole entire life ever begin to create something half as great as what 343 has created with halo 5 just feel so much entitlement to this franchise that they sit behind the fucking keyboard and just bitch and moan all day about how 343's fucked up halo and they ruined everything and it just breaks my heart because as excited as I am for Halo Infinite, we're stuck in this world where 343 couldn't have just been left alone to make the game they wanted to make, to tell the story they wanted to tell. Instead, they were forced and shoehorned into this um, into this direction of Master Chief can't run, Master Chief can't ground pound, uh, Master Chief can't do literally anything, oh, Master Chief can't drink, he's not 21 yet, Master Chief can't take a girl on a first date without paying for dinner. All these little stupid arbitrary rules we've built for the Halo universe. Master Chief can't do shit. He can't fucking pull his pantsuit off and take a goddamn shit in the middle of a bush when he's been in the field of combat for four days straight. Like, I hate the level of entitlement and ownership fans have felt over the Halo franchise. And really what it's done is it's kind of made me go back and double down and appreciate and admire Halo 5 even more. Because as much as I'm excited for Halo Infinite, and I can't wait to jump into that game, I really can't, um, I can't help but also look at Halo Infinite and see that this is a combination of what 343 wanted to make and what they felt obligated to make. Whereas I look at Halo 5, and Halo 5 was coming off the heels of the 360 and Halo 4. And even though Halo 4 got a lot of criticism, it commercially sold so well. And, and even though, you know, 
the Xbox One overall didn't do so well. Halo 5 was coming off the heels of Xbox 360, which was, you know, home to like all the biggest, it was home to Halo 3 and Halo Reach and being a massive success. So all throughout the development period of, of Halo 5, was a 343 that was like, okay, we got our feet wet. We've made a Halo game. We know what we're doing. I think people trust us with this franchise. Let's really hone in and and take this franchise home. Like really nail a Halo game now that, you know, we have some confidence in our ability to make these games. The audience has some confidence in our ability to make these games. Um, you know, it's such a popular and beloved franchise. I think we got this. And that's what, when you play Halo 5, that's what the game screams from top to bottom is, is you know, if Halo 4 was a timid 343 that was very capable and had a lot to prove, Halo 5 is those guys like cracking their knuckles and going, okay, you know, now the gloves are off. Now we're not so nervous. We know what we're fucking doing. Let's make Halo the way we want to make Halo. And that's what Halo 5 is. To me, Halo 5 is a goddamn like near masterpiece. Yes, let's address the campaign. I understand Halo 5 has a bit of a choppy campaign. There's obviously some rewrites that happen. There are obviously some development constraints in terms of time that changed some things around and made from a story perspective, the campaign feel a little improperly paced and a little awkward and choppy at points. That being said, I still think the overall story they're trying to tell in that campaign is incredibly awesome, incredibly interesting. And people just want to shit all day about how, oh, you don't play as Master Chief enough. It's like, dude, shut the fuck up. If you like Halo, you can just appreciate Halo without being force-fed Master Chief all day. It's like the Star Wars thing. It's like, dude, shut the fuck up. Like, are you telling me that Star Wars is entirely 100% dependent on Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader? If you think that, you don't like Star Wars. You like Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader, not Star Wars. And that's how I feel about Halo 5. It's like, you're not a Halo fan. You're a Master Chief fan because you can't appreciate this amazing world they built, all these amazing uh, uh, characters they built that aren't Master Chief, and you can't just appreciate what's happening in this game because you're not playing as the green guy all the fucking time. Like shut the fuck up, man. Just listen to the story they're trying to tell. Because if you let your guard down long enough to just let the game be itself and, and like speak to you, you realize Halo five is such a fucking cool experience. This bigger than life story. They're trying to tell about, you know, like, this like lonely broken human that's like mostly machine that loses like his only companion which is like this machine that's more human than machine that's like going that's like going completely haywire and just totally losing itself and then it like like uploads itself into like this ancient technology that allows it to cure cure its rampancy and then kind of gets corrupted and starts taking over other enemy AI and turning the AI against the human race and this whole story of like master chief having to come to grips with like I'm searching for like this other half of me that's no longer existing, but now I have to like track it down and kill it. And like, it's this really compelling story and it really further evolves what 343 used to always talk about was the story of like Master Chief is a human and we want to explore Master Chief less as a machine and more as John, the human, the person. And I really loved that. That was like their message all behind Halo 4 and 5. And they were doing such a great job of like really starting to get at that. And then right as we got to that climax, we got to the point where it's like, fuck, Master Chief's going to have to stop Cortana. Master Chief is going to have to kill Cortana. How crazy is that? And like all this stuff is building up and Cortana's got like all the AI turned against the UNSC and like humanity's going to have to go to war with their own creation. Like this is fucking amazing. They've got like these massive guardians that have put like the planets of the universe under martial law. Like this is just so intense and so exciting. And then boom, it just all goes zip silent. 
And now we just got to jump on to Halo Infinite where we're going to zip 20 years into the future and forget about all that shit. If you want to know what happened after Halo 5, go read a book. Fuck it. We got to bend the knee to the fanboys and give them the, um, the, 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 uh, the slower mechanics, the lack of run, all the stupid shit they want. We got to make them happy by making it look like an OG Xbox game, but also making it next gen. It's just so goofy to me. And, and even without Halo, Halo Infinite, you know, having to be the product of fan complaint, uh, even without that, even if then, even if Halo Infinite was a direct sequel to Halo five, there's still just this part of me that just has so much love and appreciation for Halo five because you can't play like if you play without a bitter heart, without a without a hate boner for three four three, you can really just you really just can't play without feeling all the love and passion and excitement that went into the making that game. It has the absolute definitive best multiplayer in a Halo game period. End of discussion. Just like so so good. And then it has, in my opinion, the best campaign from the perspective of level design and enemy encounters and just being fun. Um, and then it has one of the best stories, not the best story, but one of the best stories that has a lot of issues, but I still think is really fun and exciting. And then, honestly, I'm just a huge fan of the Halo, 343 Halo art style. I love how they took Halo, starting with Halo 4, into like this super detailed and stylized Halo universe. I love the new look of Chief and just... Everything they did with the Halo universe, I really, really love the way they evolved the, the franchise aesthetically. And that's another thing that kind of gets me a little bummed out about Halo Infinite. As much as I'm looking forward to it, it makes me a little sad when you look at Halo Infinite and tell, okay, they're totally going for like a Halo 3 look here. Like, they totally toned it back, rolled it back. And that's sad. It's sad to see them having to kind of back up on their own vision like that. But without comparing it too much to Halo Infinite, I, I, I'm sorry that I kind of made this about that. But Halo 5... Guardians is just the most special Xbox original game to me, or Xbox One game to me. Uh, I'll never forget, you know, the day it came out, just like shitting my brains out with excitement, wanting to skip class and stay home so I can just get that Call of Duty Black Ops 3 Mountain Dew that had just come out and just drink it all night long while I played multiplayer. I literally just sat down the day I finally got it. Actually, I didn't even play the multiplayer. I just ran straight through the campaign. I just had to experience it. And I played that game literally in one city. I just played the whole thing straight through. I just couldn't get enough of it. And, uh, man, I just played so much Halo 5. It's still, it's still the only Xbox One game. That is, that's like been out for just years and years and years. And I play it every week. Like, like add me on Xbox. You'll see. I'm on Halo 5 minimum of like twice a week. I'm just always playing Halo 5. It's just such a special game. Like, you know, people talk about Xbox doesn't have any games. Fuck, I'm having such a hard time finding time for other games I want to play. Because I'm still just stuck having a great time on Halo 5 all the fucking time. It's just such a great game. And, uh... I don't know. When I think about the Xbox One, and I think about like the one game I put the most amount of time into, the one game that's put the biggest smile on my face over the course of the generation, the one game that's just stuck with me and like kind of been a part of my identity as a gamer and an, as an Xbox fan, it's Halo Five Guardians, and it's such a shame to me that people don't appreciate it more than uh, than they do, um, and it's such a shame to me that Three Four Three feels the need to bend the knee and cater to the loud Star Wars fans that want to make make uh halo not what it should be but what they want it to be but you know that will never take away the fact that halo 5 is such a phenomenal game to me and i'll always be so grateful for it so those are my top five xbox uh one games of the generation i totally made that way more self-indulgent than i meant to but 
Of course, that's always what I do on this podcast. So with with me and all my self-importance out of the way, let's let's go into some of your guys' lists. About 10 of you wrote in uh, with your picks. And so our first one here is from Eric Matheson, who said, uh, uh, lastly, my, or he says, this is a continuation of a comment for earlier. You say, lastly, my top five games of the generation. Number five, State of Decay 2. Four, Forza Horizon 4. Three, Dead Rising 3. Two Gears Four and one Quantum Break. Cheers! So that's that's actually awesome that you put Quantum Break at the number one spot. That's really exciting to see someone really have enjoyed it that much to put at their number one spot. Also, shout out to Forza. I didn't put a Forza game on mine, which if I had a number six spot, I probably would have put Forza Horizon Three in my spot. But Forza Horizon Four, an equally fantastic game, awesome choice. Gears Four, shout out to having Gears Four instead of Gears Five, just like me awesome but yeah you have a pretty solid list there and then jay writes in and says my top five favorite xbox one exclusives are number five gears five number four halo five guardians number three quantum break number two state of decay two and number one sunset overdrive that's a really solid list uh you got about three of the same games as i do um but yeah Awesome to see Sunset Overdrive as your number one entry as well, Jay. Thank you for writing in with that. Viking of the North, uh, who is now, of course, we we now know you as Master Doom Chief, writes in with his top five and leaves a little comment here. He says, uh, or writes in with his top five. Also, I just want to, as a side note, Viking of the North here was uh, in the hospital. You messaged me a week ago or so that you were in the hospital battling with pneumonia. And in that you were listening to the show and it was just help, helping kind of cheer you up and everything while you were in the hospital kind of dealing with that. And they wouldn't they wouldn't discharge you until after a couple of days. So you just kind of stuck there for a while. And uh, <laughs> I, I don't know, it just really warmed. I, I don't know, it just really like meant a lot to me reading that comment. So I, I really appreciate you writing in with all that. And uh, I'm hoping you're doing a lot better now. Obviously, you're still commenting in and I know you said you left the hospital recently, so I'm really glad to hear you're feeling better. Thank you so much for keeping us in touch, and uh, I'm glad you're doing well, buddy. But you wrote in with your top five games of the generation, so let's let's read them off. You also put a little bit of a um, explanation for each one, so we'll, we'll jump in. You say Hellblade is, or we'll start with number five. You said Minecraft Dungeons is your number five. You said I know it's on other platforms, but hey, Microsoft owns it, so it's really an Xbox product. And it may seem childish, but I play it with my family, and we just have tons of fun playing it. I would like to throw Flight Simulator in there too as an honorable mention. So yeah, that's a great one. Minecraft Dungeons. I've actually enjoyed the hell out of Minecraft Dungeons. So who gives a shit if it's a kiddie game? It's not a kiddie game. Minecraft is an all-ages game. It's a it's a good game. So I think it's a pretty valid one to put on your list. For number four, you just said Master Chief Collection, which I guess is a... I feel like it's a little bit of a cheat, but I'll let you have it because it's been such a big part of the generation. I feel like it's just stayed such a big game as a platform service really for the for the Xbox platform. For number three, you put Gears 5 because the multiplayer is pretty good and I, and I quite often uh, have a ton of fun playing it. Number two, you said Grounded, the game that's really good and actually fun to play. Uh, I, re- I really need to get back to Grounded. And then you said number one, Hellblade. Yes, I know it's on everything, but Microsoft bought them. So I count it honestly as the second one uh, will not be on other consoles. So I'm considering it as an alternative, uh, as an exclusive already. Okay, that's definitely a technicality really doesn't count, but I'll let you have it. Hellblade's a great game. Uh, super glad I played it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I guess Hellblade 2 will be an Xbox exclusive. So I guess on that, on those grounds, we'll let you have it. Now you said, as for your games, you're looking forward to on the Series X. You said the the Medium, which is that horror game, uh, Stalker 2, and uh, are, are some games you're really looking forward to. 
And then you said, as for everything else, we kind of had to wait for 2021 to see what games were coming out. But I'm excited to get this box regardless. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's exciting to be moving on to Series X. I'm definitely excited to get a new slick Xbox on my entertainment center, especially because I never upgraded to a One X or a One S. I I stuck with my day one Xbox One from the start. So I'm really excited, like you, to uh, just upgrade now. Uh, J1 Rad Master, Jared, J-Rod uh, Master says, hey, Jesse, really been enjoying your podcast over the past several months. Uh, I'm a community nurse, so I drive between clients. Listening to your podcast between clients has definitely helped keep uh, keep a level head through this pandemic. I can work long I can work long hours, so sometimes having an Xbox food-related escape has really helped. Keep up the awesome work. Hey, man, I really appreciate that comment. That helps. Uh, that actually means a lot, and I appreciate your hard work, man. I, I'm, I'm sure now is a kind of crazy time to be out there doing doing the work you're doing so just know that i i appreciate what you're doing and it's it's important work so you're making a difference and i'm glad that you know me or the show can help in any way uh, whatever and uh, your words are really really awesome and encouraging so i appreciate that comment man but you said uh my my favorite xbox one exclusives have to be uh halo wars 2 we played the hell out of that game rise son of rome an awesome game that was first introduced that that first introduced the power of the xbox uh, sea of Thieves, just a great first-party game on Xbox. Halo's 5 and Master Chief Collection, you just can't beat the Halo games, of course. And then you said, I know it wasn't exclusive, but Battlefield 1 is just a game I can't truly put down. It still looks and plays great to this day, and it's one of my top most-played games on my Xbox. Thanks again. That's a pretty good list there. Uh, Rise, Son of Rome, I tried to get into it, but I just couldn't. Like, I found it to be like mildly interesting, but I do agree. It really is like such a great showcase for the graphics and the power of the console it was just such a beautiful game and first time we saw sea of thieves on the list of course a very popular xbox one exclusive um and then of course you kind of sneak in a couple halos there but that's that's fine for halo i'll make an exception now omar smith uh wrote in and says uh top xbox one games for me number five gears five four gears uh forza horizon four three halo five two sunset overdrive and one grounded uh, you said first marketing campaign, so it's a very special game to me. I totally, I totally understand why it would be, uh, considering that you helped work on, you know, the marketing campaign for the game. So first of all, congrats to you and the team. You guys did a great job. Um, Grounded is kind of off to a great start, so that's that's really exciting, and uh, I'm sure it must have been a lot of fun and really encouraging and inspiring to get to be a part of such a monumental and part of xbox history so but yeah that's that's super exciting and, and really awesome to be a part of so congrats to you on that and thanks for sharing your list omar uh it looks like you have, actually have a pretty similar list to what uh pretty similar list to i don't know someone wrote in with a, a list that seems pretty similar to that but we're seeing a lot of we're seeing a lot of repeats here a lot of people love gears 5 halo 5 and forza horizon 4 and sunset overdrive so Looks like there's some really good taste out there. Um, Bilski92 says, uh, I'd have to say the best console exclusive for me this current generation. Uh, moving on has to be Gears of War Ultimate Edition. I was kind of expecting Gears 2 Ultimate Edition, but that's just me. That's, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess, I don't know why they only ever did the first, but that's a that's a good one. I feel like that's one I always forget about because I actually had never even played it. I, I mean, obviously I played Gears 1, but I just never played the Ultimate Edition. I always forget that happened, so... Thanks for writing in there. And then EA's King117 says, Number five is Halo Combat Evolved. Four is Halo 2. Three is Halo 3. Two is Halo 4. And one is Halo 5. So that's a little bit of a cheat there. You're just breaking down the Master Chief Collection and adding Halo 5 to it. But because it's Halo and because you put Halo 5 at number one, I'll allow it. 
my brother Josiah says top five in order, and I'm reading it backwards because I'd go five to one. Sunset Overdrive at number five. State of Decay. Uh, this was on 360 as well, but a lot of people picked up Master Chief Collection, so it seems fair to me. Three was Gears 5, two is Halo 5, and one is Halo Wars 2. Honorable mention, Forza Horizon 4 because Legos. Now, that's the first time we've seen Halo Wars 2 on the list, and the fact that you put it at number one is like, speaks, I don't know, high praise to that game. I agree Halo Wars 2 is fantastic, but man, you're going to put that above Halo 5? You're a bad brother. Count Scotula comes in and says, uh, with his top five, and says, in no particular order, uh, Halo 5, Halo Master Chief Collection, now that's fixed, Forza Horizon 4, Sea of Thieves, and Ori and the Will of the Wisps. Still haven't played Gears 5 yet, but probably should do that. Yes, you should. But uh, uh, Will of the Wisps, speaking of games we should probably play, I really need to play both the Ori games still. Um, But yeah, first time we saw that one on the list, another really beloved uh, Xbox exclusive. And then lastly, OG Man Man comes in and says, have you ever tried Mountain Dew Sangria Blast? They have, they have it at Taco Bell recently. Didn't know if uh, they still have it, but I remember it half being halfway decent. Still a voltage guy all the way. On the same topic, have you had the Sweet Lightning do at KFC? Wasn't brave enough to try it the last time I ate, uh, ate there. It's uh, peach and honey are just not my thing. Top, oh, yeah, my top five games. Uh, number five, Battletoads. This game is really great. I agree. Number four, Gears of War 4, not five. Number three, Titanfall 2. Number two, Forza Horizon 3, not four. And number one, Halo Master Chief Collection. OG man, you left me a lot to ponder on here. So thanks for putting in Battletoads there. Um, I wouldn't, obviously I didn't put that on my list, but I, I, I think Battletoads has no right being as good as it ended up being. And I hope a lot more people end up playing that game because it seems like it kind of came and went. But that game's really, really good. So it's cool to see you put it on the list. Also, you put Gears of War 4 over 5 on the list, just like me, so I, got, I see you there. You put Titanfall 2 on your list over 1, but I don't think that's a controversial opinion. I think most people prefer 2. And you put Forza Horizon 3 over 4, and I'm actually right there with you, buddy. I think the Australia setting was a lot more fun and wacky than the uh, England setting. And I'll take the Lego... And, and I'll take the Hot Wheels expansion over the Lego expansion any day. But as for your question above there, yes, I've tried Mountain Dew Sangria Blast. We won't linger on this too much longer. It hasn't been at Mountain Dews here in the Southeast for a very long time. But yes, they did have it in Mountain Dews at at, at Taco Bell's for a long time. And then they sold it um, in the store. They sold it like at Walmart and shit for a little while. So yeah, I I collected a couple of cans for my collection. I tried a couple times at Taco Bell, tried a couple times at the store. It's It's okay. There's a there's a Mexican sangria soda. I always forget what it's called. It comes in like a it comes in like a glass bottle. It has like this like purpley red sticker on it. You can find out like a lot of like like Latin markets and stuff, but it's this Mexican soda sangria soda. Uh, I always forget I forget what it's called, but I can picture the bottle in my head so vividly. That's my favorite like grape or sangria type drink. Um, but Mountain Dew Sangria Blast is kind of like that. That's why I bring it up. Um, I just, I don't know. It's like when I drink Mountain Dew, that's not the flavor profile I'm looking for. But I guess if I'm just judging the drink on its own merit, it's it's pretty solid. I just, I wasn't too crazy about it. But yeah, I've had it. It's okay. Now, you say Sweet Lightning, which is the exclusive KFC Mountain Dew flavor. It's a peach flavor Mountain Dew. You can only get it at KFC. I have tried that a, a handful of times. And I gotta be honest, that's one of my least favorite Mountain Dew flavors. I... I don't know that I'd get it again. Like if I if I don't go to KFC, but like if I were to go to KFC, um, anytime in the near future, I probably would just get regular Mountain Dew over Sweet Lightning because I just really 
don't care for Sweet Lightning. It's just not my thing, but I have tried it. I do recommend just trying it just to say you've tried it, but um, maybe eat inside the restaurant when you're going to do it so you can like drink like half a cup of Sweet Lightning and then pour it out, go back to the fountain and pour yourself like a regular Dew or a Pepsi because it's it's not that good, but it, it's fun to say you've had it, right? Uh, but thank you so much for writing in with your top five, man. Not to derail our topic here with uh, Mountain Dew Talk, but... I appreciate you writing in and having some nice controversial takes by putting Gears 4 over 5 and Forza Horizon 3 over 4. But yeah, thank you all so much for writing in with that segment. That was a lot of fun to do, especially with me just uh, being all self-indulgent. But yeah, uh, it's it's fun to look back on the console. It seems like some of the reoccurring things is uh, people really like Forza Horizon. People really like Gears uh, 5. People really like Halo 5. And people really like Sunset Overdrive, which is uh, really... Really, really nice to hear because Sunset Overdrive is so good. Also, OG Man Man, I got to call you out. You also put Titanfall 2 as your number three, I just remembered. Titanfall 2 is multi-platform, so Titanfall 1 is an option. Titanfall 2 is not an option, so I win, you lose. Bye-bye. Now, that's going to do it for our podcast this week, guys. Obviously, it's running really long. We have some new games coming out to the Xbox uh, Marketplace this week. We'll just blast through them because there's 21 new games, and holy fuck, who wants to know about that? Bladed Fury is coming out on October 20th. Doom Eternal, The Ancient Gods Part 1, which is the expansion for Doom Eternal, is now out, so you can go ahead and play that. Thanks, Game Pass. Hyper Brawl Tournament is coming out on the 20th. That looks like Rock'em Sock'em Robots, but like now they kiss. And then Monster Truck Championship is out on October 20th. And that's like the one for the guys who live in the in the monster trucks. Then Outpost Delta is out on October 20th. That is a game where you play as the Decepticons against the Autobots. Then they got Assault on the Mellotron, which is also like uh, you play as like a you play as like a wombat or some shit like that. You got Axis Football 2020, which is like knockoff Madden, but Madden sucks because this year it's really buggy. So that means Axis Football is probably better than Madden this year. And then you got Banner of the Maid, which is a sexist game. And then you got uh, Cross Crush, which I read as Cross Cush, which is maybe a game about running over old ladies and running drugs around the country. Then you got um, Marcrotus, A Mother's Journey. I don't know what the fuck that means. You play as some weird Donkey Kong Country looking rat thing with overly long ears then you got rusty spout rescue adventure it looks like one of those match three games you got scourge scourge bringer which is uh not fun looking you got tech wars global conflict which just sounds like america invading the middle east again then you got double plug switch which is sounds very sexual you got bh trials which is like bullshit but they, they it's more like bull hit and then they got Cleo, which is a game where you play some anime girl running from skeleton. They got um, Galicide, which is a twin stick space shooter. Those are always a good time. Then you got Grood, which is a twin stick shooter that doesn't look good because the name's kind of stupid. Then you got Pumpkin Jack, which I'm actually really looking forward to playing this week when that comes out on Friday. It's like Jack and Daxter looking Halloween pumpkin adventure game. Cannot wait to play this game. Apparently it's being developed by one guy. Um, I actually highly recommend you look into this game. It looks really fun. Pumpkin Jack. It's coming out on everything, but of course, playing on Xbox. Transformers Battlegrounds, which is just another sh- cheap Transformers cash grab. Uh, and Lords of Click on October 23rd, which is an iPhone game. And that's going to do it for all the new games coming out this week. Sorry I didn't put more effort into that one, but come on, guys. More over two hours. Games with Gold, guys. Don't forget, you can get Slayway Camp Butcher's Cut for the rest of the month. Made of Skur for the until November 15th. And Costume Quest is now available until the 31st of the month. 
That is going to do it for our podcast, guys. I'm completely losing my voice from two and a half hours of just talking straight into this fucking microphone. But thank you so much for participating in our topic today and for writing in and for listening to the show. I always really, really appreciate your um, your support. And uh, remember, guys, if, if you haven't already, rate the show on iTunes. Even though I don't check the iTunes reviews, I'm still going to ask you to do it. Uh, share the show with friends. Help grow the show. Subscribe on YouTube. Let's get us to 1,000 subscribers on YouTube. I think I'm at like about 700 now. So if we can just hit that 1000 mark, I can start making you watch ads on the YouTube videos, which will help me eventually bring in a couple pennies here and there. So help me to help me, please. Thank you. And uh, as always, guys, we'll we'll be back next week on Thursday. But uh, until then, don't forget to power your dreams.